The RPG After Years is part of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Find out more at probablywork.com. The RPG After Years, your weekly show covering all things RPGs from the past, present, and future. This is episode three. I'm Scott. And I'm Rich. With us today is another special guest, my lovely fiance, Corey. Hi, everybody. We have a very good reason for Corey's presence. Today is our first official After Years review, and it's a game he beat. We are going to be reviewing Fire Emblem Three Houses on the Nintendo Switch. beat it a couple of weeks ago however Corey was the one playing the game so i wanted to bring him on to get his perspective and i am so excited to talk about this game we'll get to all that in a bit first let's catch up so rich what have you been up to man <laughs> um nothing <laughs> not a thing no i've been working a lot and uh, i haven't really playing too many games like i start it and then i stop because i have other things i gotta do so yeah, there's You're that. Saying you have a life outside this show, not really much. I, I do, and uh, it's it's a lot of stuff, a lot of things. Any weightlifting? Can't handle it. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just gonna cry. Working no, it's uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, I worked there two days last week, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, so, I saw you've been buying some stuff. Oh yeah, I have. I, I and, bought. And how's that been going? Eh. My wallet hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Have you started Darksiders? But I'm also... Yeah, I did a little bit. I just wanted to pop it in and, and play it a little bit just to see what it was like. And uh, I put it in my bin of Switch games, the bin of darkness that eventually I'll get to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ooh, have you picked up... Have you touched Alundra this week? No. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm shocked. Bill will be so disappointed. No, I know, I know. The bad thing is, I, okay, the game's not that bad. It's just I, I can't, 
I got to get really into it yeah. in order for me to play the whole thing. So I'm trying. I'm trying. Not yeah. hard enough, but I'm trying. I, th- <laughs> I think Bill's like uh, over two thirds of the way through, roughly. So you got some Listen, catching up to do. I do, but let me put this in perspective for a lot of people. Bill rides the train to work every day, right? <laughs> it's like two hours of him driving riding that train, so he gets a lot of time to do that. That's true. Um, so, well, you also had a resolution to finish one of these once a month <laughs> one a month yeah resolutions are meant to be broken yeah here on so, like the next episode too we need to do like a catch up on how everybody's doing on the resolutions that we can yeah into. <laughs> you, you, you sure you want to do that nope I, i've been doing pretty good on my end <laughs> i think um, yeah i just i okay. I don't know what it's about. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to feel like Jay for a minute where he's like, I can't go back and play these old PlayStation one games. Oh yeah. You signed up for the wrong show then. <laughs> <laughs> I know I did. I signed up for the right show, which is this show. I didn't right. really sign up for the, the golden years. Bill just talked me into it. Drafted. <laughs> yeah. I was drafted. I didn't understand what I was doing. I was naive. So yeah, it is what it is. A, give you a calendar. Like on Tuesday, you play Alundra. <laughs> uh, didn't you didn't you also buy a fire emblem this week wasn't that one no was I, no i didn't buy that one somebody else did in the discord they were, i thought they were I, okay I, I remember somebody saying they bought it rich has started yeah, that was still emblem, too expensive right? i did and i i was playing and trying out from a friend and then oh yeah. so you was just borrowing it yeah okay what uh what uh, house did you choose when you played I chose the yellow one. Golden Deer. Okay. The one led by Claude, like the black-headed guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least you'll have somewhat of a different perspective. I know that was a long time ago, but. um, Well, I mean, I played a little bit of the combat, so I know all that and uh, not full in depth of it, but I got the idea of it. Right. Okay. Uh, Anything else you've been playing? Uh, no, I'm going to start up Final Fantasy XIV hmm. again. Nice. Uh, trip through e- Eorzea. So where are you in that? Um, I'm still in the first part of the game, the uh, Realm Reborn. That's where I'm at. Rich, did you know that they're completely redoing uh, or the structure of how a Realm Reborn is? Like apparently no. everybody says that's the worst part of the game is the, the base story. Well, yeah, it is. And, uh, it is, it is mind-numbing. Yeah, apparently so, they're like redoing that to make it like more uh, beginner friendly. Oh, nice. So if only you had waited a little longer. I don't know when that's All supposed right. to launch. Um, eh, well, it don't matter. As for me and Corey, we ha- have not been playing much this week. Um, I started Astral. Well, I didn't start Astral Chain, but we're still playing Astral Chain. We played it for like three or four hours the other night and we just did like random missions. And it's just like, when is this game going to pick up again? I, I guess you don't have to do the side quests, but <laughs> what do you think, Corey? Well, you're a hundred percenter and I've always faulted you for it. <laughs> it's hard to uh, tell because it's like, you think that the quests are going to be short and easy and most of them are, but then you get one that takes like an hour all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden we're four hours in and haven't touched a story. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing we've been playing is, uh, Super Mario Galaxy. We actually got a good chunk of that in last night. Big chunk. Yeah. You got like 
10 or 15 stars or something yeah, like that. I, I was hauling ass. <laughs> How are you feeling about Galaxy so far? It's good. I can see why it gets the the ratings that it that it got. Definitely a nice step up from Mario 64. I thought you were going to say Sunshine. I was going to have to flog you after this. <laughs> it is a it is a step up from Sunshine though. Hey man. <laughs> no, uh, I like the I like the setting of Sunshine better being on a beach and yeah. on an island, but we uh, game, gameplay of Galaxy is prettier and more right. polished. We uh, touched on this last week, but the only problem with Galaxy is we tend to start it up after we've been drinking, and uh, it takes like some fine motor skills to play a Mario game. Yes, it does. <laughs> and so those are in short supply a lot of times when we try to play it. Because <laughs> you're drunk. Exactly. <laughs> um, did you play anything on, during the week this week, Corey? Uh, played a little bit of Pokemon Shield. Oh, that right. was... Um, back, what, Monday? I think it was Monday night. Yeah, you didn't I get played. very far when you played, though. No, I just got through the wild area and went to the next like little town or village. Where did and you that, stop in, Pokemon, Rich? Uh, no, I remember I had to start it all over. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you and so, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Womp womp. Uh, oh, well, we are, I did mention this. We are playing uh, Final Fantasy X with a friend. Um uh, and so she came over one night this week and we got through the, the Sanubia desert right before you get to home on the nice. Albed Island. And so she's liking that. And of course, everybody knows how much I love Final Fantasy X. So that's nice. Yes. And then we also played um, Jackbox uh, Party Pack 5 with her and her yeah. boyfriend that night. It was Party Pack 5. So it wasn't uh, Game of the Decade Party Pack 3, but Party Pack 5 is pretty good too. It's a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, anything else interesting we've been up to Douglas? nothing all right nope well let's move on then okay so um before we move on we just want to talk about the uh, the patreon real quick you can find that at patreon.com slash rpg after years uh just a quick reminder of some of the t- uh, tiers for a dollar you get a shout out on the show um, and then you also get access to our private discord, which sometimes the private Patreon discord is more active than the, uh, the public one. So that's right. how that works. Uh, what do they get for $2 rich? You get the summon tier ad free early episode access, planning doc access Jay's anime corner. I think you guys are going to try to record the first episode of the anime corner this week, right? I guess. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just uh, show up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have to watch any anime episodes for this week. I think he just wants to talk about general, you know, experiences with anime and stuff. So yeah, look forward to that. $2 patrons. Um, and then for $5, you get access to the aftercast, which I think we are going to record uh, this week as well. Um, I think we're going to be talking about the various controversies that have popped up in the community surrounding the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, the transgender stuff, the, Tifa's appearance stuff and more. So look forward to that. Um, you'll also get access to non RPG reviews, uh, live recording access slash the video version. We are live right now streaming to YouTube for our patrons. Yay. Uh, party planning, which is like the uh, minutes leading up to us actually starting the episode when we're making sure we've got all our ducks in a row. Um, you'll get an RS custom RSS feed where all this gets delivered to your podcatcher app, all this bonus content. 
and then a monthly raffle, which I think we need to figure out, uh, we need to do on next week's episode. Yeah. A, it, it's time. <laughs> um, and then what's, what do they get for $10, Rich? The final boss is co-host a show. Be Annual physical us. gift. Huh? I said they can be on here with us. That's right. Submit <laughs> questions and topics. Change current golden years game. <laughs> I guess you wish somebody would change it from a lunch. Please, please change everything. <laughs> if only it worked that way. <laughs> and then anyway. our highest tier uh, for $25, you can make Dylan Rich play any game you want, not just a, a golden years uh, list game. You can force he and Jay to play any game you want with Bill, whether it's a list game or uh, one of the infinite playlist games with Bill. (laughs) I know. Right. And then, uh, Hayska, which lets you change the game twice a year rather than just once. So yeah, uh, lots of great, uh, benefits there. So, uh, jump on there and you can get access to all that great content. Um, super exciting. Yeah. One more, uh, quick note before we move on uh, since we're not doing tea time with bill this week he doesn't know anything about fire emblem hardly other than what it is so we didn't see a point for tea time but uh so we'll cover the material lockdown this week that is still happening yes Uh, rich real quick for those that don't know what is the material lockdown the material lockdown is a challenge that we issued out last year for a Final Fantasy VII Materia randomization. Um, it's a charity event that we host for, um, and I'm drawing a blank. Motor uh, Neuron Disability. Yeah, it's those words. So that's what we're doing. It's uh, in tribute to Bill's mom, and we're just raising money for that community and that charity that helped him out. Uh, so get on. Uh, Materia Lockdown. Check out the website, materialockdown.com. Is that right? Still the yep. same thing? Um, and register for that. You'll use Twitter. We have a special bot that you have on Twitter that helps you randomize your Materia. Um, just so you know, it can get a little rough sometimes if you <laughs> get randomized the wrong thing. Um, yeah, like not being allowed yeah. to use green Materia at all, like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you better get really lucky. But it's a fun time. So definitely take a look. Uh, play that with us when it launches March 3rd. Yeah, um, March 3rd, so that's when it starts. There's also a new run type this year, the Final Fantasy One run, where you can only get the six classic jobs. Um, yes. So Thief, Warrior, White Mage, and so on. Um, and there's also a new Time Mage job, which limits what type of magic you're allowed to use. But Bill's always coming up with crazy ideas. So, All right, so yeah, just get on with that with uh, uh, March 3rd, Material Lockdown. Okay, so let's get on to the news. Hear ye, hear ye, gather round for all your news. Stop your clatter and listen close. Alas, you won't believe your ears. Listen close for the news. Alrighty, so uh, first up this week, there has been new footage of some kind of Harry Potter RPG leaked. Um, so for those that aren't aware, I don't think this story has like made the rounds a lot, but it kind of looks like they're making some kind of full-fledged um, Harry Potter open-world RPG um, where you are playing as a student who discovered their, that they were magic late 
like he's already a teenager before he figured out he was a wizard. <laughs> uh, so it's like you free roam Hogwarts and uh, you learn spells and de defeat enemies. You create your own character. Uh, it's kind of weird because this thing hasn't been officially announced, but this is like the second time they've had like a bunch of footage leak. It looks pretty cool. It sort of looks like it might be the Harry Potter game we've always wanted. So uh, have you heard about this at all, Corey? Corey and I are both big Harry Potter fans. I have not. I'm assuming this is because that mobile game had some success when it first started. Because I don't know why else you would randomly come out with a Harry Potter-ish <laughs> RPG. Well, they're working on all kinds of Harry Potter games now. J.K. Rowling has sort of like ceased uh, control over the brand, sort of. <laughs> are you into Harry Potter at all, Rich? Uh, no. No? Not even read it or seen the movies or anything? Oh, I've seen the, re I've seen the movies and I've read the books, but no. I'm not just that don't. big of a fan of what. Okay, well, just, fuck you. It's not my thing. <laughs> Man, I, I'm a Harry Potter. Corey and I both are Harry Potter super fans, so. Nice. Oh, well, like we'll literally go to trivia and events and stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I'm excited for this. I, I'm looking forward to learning more about it. So we'll keep our eyes to the ground on that one. Yeah, it could be interesting. What's next? So Nintendo names and shakes Pokemon leaker. So a while back uh, before Pokemon Sword and Shield came out, there was a big deal of a lot of news leaks about uh, different Pokemon evolutions, I believe. Is that right? Evolutions and what was happening. Yeah, I think pretty much this yeah. place leaked the whole yeah. like roster of all the new Pokemon. Exactly. So it was a big deal. Nintendo um, and uh, Game Freak, all them got together, and they located that uh, leaker. Right. And they went after him. Yeah, so, so they broke off all yeah. relations and named them. It, the publication was uh, F Nintendo. And yeah. so apparently they had been working covering Nintendo for like 11 years. So, <laughs> the, so the, just so you know, don't don't piss off Nintendo. Yeah, the, they sent their ninjas out. The, yeah. uh, the interesting thing about this, though, is that it's not common for companies to actually name the leaker when they figure out who it is so they really wanted to like make an make an example out yeah. of f nintendo <laughs> um yeah. the thing i don't get about it though is like so if you're running this website for 11 years and you're getting like preview games you're like i guess they must have been sort of a respected outlet in some regard why would you give up all of that i assume they're making money off of the site just well, to like leak some Pokemon. It's like, it's not like their name was attached to the leak Pokemon and they were getting any credit for it. Well, maybe they did by accident. I mean, that could have been what happened. They were yeah. doing something and they were like, Oh, this is going to release uh, in two weeks. And right. boom. Oops. <laughs> um, well, we're screwed. Yeah. I do wonder if it was like just a, a one rogue writer that was doing it. And then the site's like, Oh fuck me. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, you signed NDAs and everything else. It's important. You know, you follow what they're telling you. Right. But, oh, yeah. well stupid, yeah. stupid, stupid. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Dang it. Dang it. Corey. Sorry. <laughs> it's Corey's fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll stop leaking. So this is barely, well, the Fire Emblem Three Houses DLC, the fourth campaign, Cindered Shadows, it has released. We have not started it, but I think we are. We might be planning to soon. Is that right, Corey? 
Well, we downloaded it last night, right? Did we? We downloaded something last night. Oh. That was Fire Emblem related. Apparently apparently so, because we definitely downloaded it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I vaguely remember that. I was pretty drinky, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, because you were uh, very insistent on not letting it download and playing or watching Witcher. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You were pretty firm on that. I wanted to watch Witcher. Apparently so. You told me... uh, you, you told me that I had to pick what we were doing, so I did. <laughs> no, I told you pick what we're doing. You said, oh, let's do the Fire Emblem DLC, and then you started downloading it, and you yeah. let it get to 75%, and you was like, oh, let's watch Witcher. I'm like, we're two minutes away. <sighs> well, But we will be starting that this, <laughs> this week. Good. Like domestic fights on the podcast. <laughs> okay. So what's next, Rich? Pokemon Home released, so that was the overall hub station for um, all things Pokemon, like the trading from 3DS to um, Let's Go and Pokemon Sword Shield. I have it. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I'm not. I'm still kind of confused on it a little bit on how to do these things. I think this has been explained to me like three or four times. And I'm still like, now how does it work? <laughs> yeah, like. So I'm pulling up. Apparently, because you signed up, if it would let me get in, I was able to get two new Pokemon. Nice. But I don't know how to download them into Sword and Shield. (laughs) It's one of those things you just have to work through and figure out. I guess, because I have Pikachu and Bulbasaur. Yeah. Uh, But that's it. I don't know how to do anything. (laughs) You'll have to figure it out. See, for us, it's like there's no point to it because we only have been playing pokemon sword and shield like we have now, before that we haven't played a pokemon game in forever although I've, yeah i've got let's go pikachu that's true you could move your let's go pikachu pokemon yeah you could I don't, about, I don't know how to do it but you can you, and i've got pokemon with, go i was about to say doesn't it work with pokemon go too <laughs> i think so can you put your go pokemon in sword and shield maybe that'd be crazy that's pretty cool well, it's good i mean i i paid for the service for a little bit for a couple months just to try it out yeah i have no idea what any of this stuff is so i I feel like i wasted some time but that's okay you'll figure it out yep we'll Uh, we'll learn to fly okay so uh they have been going sort of crazy with releasing more info and details about the final fantasy 7 remake um we've learned a lot this week there's been they showed first of all they showed the full opening movie did you watch that rich i no i watched maybe Two like a minute or so, and then I stopped because it pissed me off. What? <laughs> what? No, no what? Hold, 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 hold up, hold up. Okay. It looked amazing. I'm excited for it. It pissed me off because why are they doing that? Oh, you mean why did they release it? Yeah, why the hell are they releasing it? Why um, the hell are we getting all this information? What happened to surprises? I like Christmas. Mm, I like to be surprised. Yeah, I understand. Um, we thought about not watching it, but... Yeah, we know you can't. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard to resist. And my the, my thought process was, I've already seen the opening to Final Fantasy VII 20 years ago. So this, how much more of a surprise can this be? <laughs> but it's but it's prettier. It is prettier. And it's supposed to be. I mean, just just no. Stop, people. Enough. Marketing <laughs> I think, team. Fire. I think it is pretty common to um, release openings of games shortly before they come out. So. I'm not that surprised. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It should not be standard. Yeah. <laughs> it should be whoever thought about that needs to be punished. 
Just punish Thank all you. of Square Enix. Full blown. Well, yeah. Well, I don't want to punish them. They'll delay it again. What did you well, think of the opening? Well, now your your surprise will just be the right after the first five minutes of the game. Yeah. Just get <laughs> through the minutes. first five minutes, and then boom! You now yeah. you're surprised again. First five minutes after that, Aerith dies. <laughs> that would be so yeah. That's the big change. That's the big change. Anyway, the opening looks great. Uh, everything is just beautiful as all get out. Uh, there's a new, like the first two minutes of the opening are brand new. Just sort of some establishing shots of Midgar. Uh, you see like sort of the threats of what the Mako reactors are early. Um, I want to know what Eric was scared of. Something in that alley scares her. <laughs> a gator. <laughs> uh, Corey and I were talking, I put this on Twitter. Corey and I were talking about the opening after watching it because uh, he was at work. It's like, what do you think scared Aerith? He's like an alligator. <laughs> here's here's my theory on that. Let's, uh, let's I'm gonna do two different theories. One is the serious theory. The one is the joke theory. Okay. Um, you know, along the lines of the gator. How about a bear? <laughs> a bear. A <laughs> mako bear. It. it could be a bear. Yeah. A... <laughs> or the serious theory is either it's Cloud that scares her, or it's Sephiroth that hmm. shows up. So here's my theory. On what I, could, I, I could get on the Sephiroth train on that one. Yeah. So we've seen in several trailers, there's like this black look, evil looking smoke that sort of surrounds Aerith a couple times. Um, and I'm thinking that whatever that is, only she can see it. And that's what she saw in the alley. Because um, that seems to be a new plot element is whatever those ghosty black sm- that's smoke true. shit is. Um, so other than that, uh, the opening looked great. I was impressed. So we learned about the side quests. So not that this is surprising, but they did uh, reveal sort of uh, the optional quests. Apparently there's like two types. There's merc quests or mercenary quests, which are um, sort of required, I think. And then there's this other sort of quest type where it's more like uh, your typical, what you would expect, like fetch quests and stuff like that. So what you're telling me is a bunch of bitch ass fetch quests. Sounds like that. I mean, I would be surprised if it's more than that, to be honest. Sorry. The fifteen <laughs> the fifteen hunts that they had were just yeah. a bunch of fetch quests and it kind of every time I say, Well, a bunch of uh mercenary quests or do this, like so what you're telling me is I'm just gonna have to go from point A to point B to grab stupid shit yeah. and go from there. Sorry, just language pissing. And me all of that so stuff is not was not in the original, but as we know, they have been expanding. They're they're gonna have to expand on Midgard greatly to turn it into a full game. So so that's sort of our first hint at that. What, what kind of content there will be? Um, Dude, I, showed... I just have this. I've, I just feel that I either I'm going to be extremely happy about this game, or I'm going to be extremely pissed off. I think we really are going to take a few, at least a couple of days off to play it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to have to as well. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely taking some time off work. Um, they showed new renders of Carbuncle and a Chocobo chick, mm. both of which are sort of nightmarish looking. Have you guys seen oh. these guys? Oh I've yeah, seen, seen the car. I don't even understand. Their heads are so huge. They really <laughs> <Why>? are. <laughs> the the Why? chocobo in particular is just like frightening. <laughs> Why couldn't we get yeah. like the cute thirteen chocobo chicks? Yeah, or even uh, in fifteen, 15, they're cute. Fifteen's chocobo and fifteen's uh, carbuncle was amazing. Yeah, fifteen's carbuncle was very cute. I f- I feel like this one is the stepchild. <laughs> yeah. you know left in the backwoods carbuncle trailer park carbuncle <laughs> yeah it's just like left there Let's this is what into... we this is what we get for bad mouthing 15 yeah. they take the cute elements away from us let's get that trending uh trailer park carbuncle <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh my God, let's do that. <laughs> uh, not much else, but they're releasing new details every day. Um, I'm at the point to where I don't really want to see any more trailers, although I'm sure I won't be able to resist when one comes out. But um, yeah. We're what, like six weeks out from the game now? Something like that. It's getting close. I'm excited. I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> It'll be weird when it, when it comes out because it's in that, like now what do we look forward to? Kingdom Hearts is out. Final Fantasy VII is out. Nothing. It's Cyberpunk? In September. In September. Uh, I mean, for us, it'll be The Last of Us. That is the main thing. That one too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so that's about it. So next is uh, what RPGs have been released? All right. So RPGs released in the last two weeks. um, As last week was a review. Um, 2.14, Friday, Valentine's Day. Darksiders Genesis, which is on the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox, and Snackworld, the Dungeon Crawl. Do you know anything uh, about Snackworld? I don't know anything about that. Me either. <laughs> okay. So, no. So, um, February 18th, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, Xbox. Yay, more Kingdom Hearts for Xbox people. Yay, good for them. <laughs> He's freaking the wrong console. <laughs> yeah. Um, the 20th, Katana Kami, Away the Samurai Story, Japan only, Windows, uh, Switch, PlayStation 4, and Persona 5 Scrambled, Japan only for Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4. Persona and, 5 uh, Scrambled is actually looking pretty good. What is it? So, is it the actual game, or it's like a Warriors game, like a Persona 5, like uh, Dynasty Warriors type game, but they're posing it as like a sequel to persona five. So it takes place after and like the story is canon and all that. And it even has outside of the, like the, the dynasty warriors tops top battles. It has um, like free roaming Tokyo and other uh, places, which is not common in those types of games. So I think it looks good, okay. but of course, Corey and I have to actually play persona five first. <laughs> yeah. Which is on our list. Yes. It doesn't come out till May, though. The, the, I've been asking for like a month to play that game, and he won't let me play it until this special edition comes out. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. you could go rogue and just play it on your own. I, I thought about home. doing that. I come home one day, and he's just playing it. I'm like, <laughs> just <laughs> bust the door down, shocked. How dare you? <laughs> um, so coming out in the next uh, couple weeks here, on the 25th, which should be the Tuesday after this releases, uh, we've got Rune Factory 4 special on the Switch. Um, I think some people in our listener base are excited about this. It's like a RPG Harvest Moon type game or Stardew Valley. I think so, yeah. It might be on my list to pick up the way down the road. Yeah. And same day, uh, Dragon Quest of the Stars, which is Dragon Quest's uh, run at a mobile game. Yeah. <laughs> all kinds of gotcha and stuff. Yeah. Uh, on the 26th, which is Wednesday, Hero Must Die again on windows and ps4 very next day it comes out on the switch um on the 28th next friday we've got romance of the three kingdoms 14 on windows and ps4 do you have you ever played a romance of the three kingdoms game Mm, no i have not i never hear anybody talking about these games but there's like 14 of them so (laughs) somebody must be buying these things i don't even know what it is other than i think it might be a strategy rpg but I think so. Hmm. Okay, and then uh, the Tuesday after next, March 3rd, we've got Grand Blue Fantasy Versus on the PS4, the Western release. So 
there we go. And that's it for all that. So with all that out of the way, you guys want to take a break before we get to the main discussion? Sure. Sure. time. All right, let's do it. Hey, I'm Tyler, and I host the podcast Too Young for This Hit, where I used to watch movies I had never seen before with friends who really liked it, but then I ran out of time because I was doing too much other podcast stuff. Anyways, now I'm watching TV shows with my friend Evan. Say hi, Evan. What? So we're watching TV shows at least one of us haven't seen, sometimes both of us. Anyways, sometimes we like them, sometimes we hate them, other times it's just, I don't know, but whatever. But anyways, well, we're watching them, and it's Too Young for This Hit, and you can find us at probablywork.com and any other place you want to listen to podcasts, or you just hear sounds in general. That's probablywork.com, and we're too young for this hit. Well, I gotta go ahead another podcast, so bye. Oh my god, I hated that so much. And we're back. So, let's get on to the review. Fire Emblem Three Houses. Woohoo! Yes! So, Fire Emblem Three Houses came out on July 26th, 2019, which is 209 days ago. So, a pretty new game. Um, so, as we always do with reviews, here's uh, what was number one on the U.S. billboard at the time. Uh, Old Town Road by Little Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> I hate this song. Agreed. <laughs> it was. We can't be friends anymore. You, wait, you like it? Oh I hated God. it when it first yeah, came out. I was just so stupid. And as months went on, I'm like, Old Town Road. How about that? <laughs> it's so. Right. It's such a stupid song. Like, you're gonna d- take your horse down the. Nobody's riding horses around anymore. You don't know that. <laughs> well, I might have a horse. Maybe in some parts of the country. <laughs> you ever heard of a uh, band called Fame on Fire? I have not. No. Okay. They do a small cover of this song, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's they're kind of like rock, so I would recommend that. I don't. Is it country? Is it rap? Is it? It's country rap. It's Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. It should explain it all. Jeez. He this, gave us Hannah Montana, so he should die. Thanks, Billy Ray. <laughs> Curse upon the land. A <laughs> blight. Uh, this was also the number one single of the year, so uh, I'm really out of touch with the kids. Apparently, you just kill me. That's old no people. One understands? Nobody <laughs> understands. Why would you sing a song about uh, a horse, Old Town Road, and Billy Ray Cyrus? That's Ain't what nobody the kids gonna want. tell me nothing. All right, that's, a, that's more than enough of that. Yeah, <laughs> but I need more. I'm gonna need to listen to it again. My ears. You're so weird, Rich. I know. All right. And then in the UK, we had Beautiful People by Ed Sheeran featuring Khalid. I hate Ed Sheeran. 
Really? <laughs> I, I, he's really hit or miss for me. Some of his songs are really like, some of them I hate. Uh, I love this song, though. Like, I, I actually listen to this song for fun. <laughs> yeah, I kind of listen to it, too. What's a better song called Beautiful People? Marilyn Manson's Beautiful Marilyn Manson's. There oh. you go. <laughs> I listen to that at the gym's time. <laughs> well, that wasn't trending in the, the UK. <laughs> This one time, it seems the UK had better taste than us. That's right. Imagine as you're like this soft little snowflakey child, you know, like, oh, I love to get my feels here with the Smed Sheeran, beautiful people, and boom, hits Marilyn Manson. Marilyn what the Manson. hell? Somebody, sh- you should make that video, Rich. What? Just all of a throw, sudden, throw those two songs into Audacity and transitional. Yeah. Okay. Well, enough of that. But I need to listen to the song. How dare you? <laughs> you can listen to it later. I will. Um, and we've also, in the U.S., the number one at the box office was The Lion King remake, 2019. Wow, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, does it? Good well, taste. Good sucked. taste. It also listen, does- listen here, Rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to hit you. Okay, no. I like the original. The original. Well, so do I. Okay. Um, it was also number one at the U.K., so we were aligned on that that one month. Um, I. I ha- I think the Lion King remake is just okay. There's nothing wrong with it. I liked it. However, I told Corey this. I don't after watching it. I don't see why I would ever watch the remake when I could just go watch the original. So Bingo. the original is more of a spectacle. You yeah. get the bright colors and all of that, whereas the remake is. I like the kind of realistic aspect of it. It's just not as much of a spectacle. Realistic? Yeah. Have you ever seen a talking lion? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I get uh, you. Well, some of the Disney like live action remakes I actually do like, and I think they're different enough to where I would watch the remake or maybe watch the original, just depending on how I feel that day. Um, like I really like the Aladdin remake. I think the Beauty and the Beast one's okay. I but, love the Beauty and the Beast one. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's uh, what was going down in pop culture when Fire Emblem came out. So we'll move on to the history. Okay, so. Following the unexpected success of Fire Emblem Awakening for the Nintendo 3DS, which helped save the series from cancellation after flagging sales of earlier entries, the Fire Emblem series gained renewed commercial value and prompted developer Intelligent Systems and publisher Nintendo to bring the series back to home consoles for the first time since Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn in 2007. By the way, Corey, uh, Radiant Dawn was the one that starred Ike. uh, Ike. Oh, nice. Um, it was originally intended to be another 3DS game until the team learned of the existence of the Nintendo Switch. So apparently the Switch was pretty hush-hush even within Nintendo developers for a minute there. <laughs> I can see that. The team wanted the game to surpass all prior entries in the series and new development of a console title would be difficult. So they recruited Koei Tecmo to help with development. Once Fire Emblem Echoes was completed, which was the last Fire Emblem game before this one, um, full production on Three Houses began in 2017. So it took them two years, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually pretty amazing. It took them two years to build that game. I mean, it took, Corey, you, what, like 100 hours to beat the game? Yeah, and yeah a little under 100. Yeah, two, one storyline. Yeah, two hours, or two years to do that. That's insane. Anyways. I wish that's what how all games, how fast yeah, they get yeah. developed. Yeah, that well, seems more reasonable. Yeah. So the narrative was written in the vein of the dark fantasy with the mature aspects of the narrative showing through the conflict between three factions. Uh, voice recording took three months, and it was estimated that the voice acting was five times larger than any previous Fire Emblem title. There is a Ability, shit ton of dialogue, and it's all voiced. 
That's, yeah. that's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, let's see. The ability to roam a hub world between battles and the time skip later in the story was directly inspired by the 1996 entry Fire Emblem Genealogy of the Holy World War. Uh, conflict between three leaders was also taken from the genealogy of Holy War. The game's nar- uh, native subtitle, a Chengyu. Chengyu, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Chengyu re- uh, representation of the seasons was it was chosen to represent the narrative's four paths. However, as it translated awkwardly, the title was changed to Three Houses in English. Interesting. See, this is Corey and I's first Fire Emblem game, so yeah, I didn't necessarily know that the free roaming between battles was a, a new thing. How how old is this series? Oh, dude, it, it's like in the 80s the first one came out. Jeez. It came out around the same time as, you know, like all the Nintendo classics uh, like Mario and Zelda and Samus and all that. The only thing is we didn't start getting them in America until like the early mid-2000s after... Okay. So Marth and Roy appeared in Super Smash Brothers Melee, and at that time, America had not gotten a Fire Emblem game. So oh, everybody wow. was like, "Who the fuck are Marth and Roy?" <laughs> um, gotcha. So that sparked interest, and because of Smash Bros, like they started trying, they gave releasing Fire Emblems a shot in America. <laughs> nice. And now there's like 14 Fire Emblem <laughs> characters in Smash. <laughs> Still going. And thanks to Awakening, like we talked about in that first paragraph there, uh, Fire Emblem like really t- took off, and now it's super successful in America. I can see why after playing this game. Yeah. So uh, several new artists were brought in as Intelligent System wanted to revamp the series' artistic design with three houses. The concept artist Kazuma Koda was brought in, who had been the concept artist for Bayonetta 2 and Near Automata. I could see that influence. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I've seen what the other Fire Emblems look like, and they're all just like anime characters. So I don't know what it's talking about with like revamping the design of Fire Emblem. Who knows? Maybe, maybe more like the setting. Yeah. Hmm. Several developers cited Koei Tecmo's help as vital to the game's success. Koei Tecmo's experience with creating large-scale battles with large numbers of on-screen characters in their Dynasty Warrior series was leveraged to increase the sense of scale of three houses far beyond its predecessors. The new school setting also allowed the developers to increase Fire Emblem's RPG mechanics, whereas it had focused mainly on battles in the past. The social aspect of the game also went through many revisions. Once a calendar system was suggested, the social mechanics were greenlit. It was also suggested that the game include child characters for the time skip to be more impactful, but decided it would be best to focus social and relationship mechanics around characters maturing over time. I think that was a good a good uh, decision on their part. Totally agree. <laughs> uh, there's like one character who starts off sort of like pretty young and then after the time skip, he's older. But other than that, it's like it's all the same characters and they their design changes after the time skip, but they look more or less the same age. <laughs> um, I would say from my house, I can think of like three or four off the top of my head that you can definitely tell aged. Okay. Um, can you imagine this game without the free roaming aspect though? No. I feel like the if it was just battle after battle after battle, I would get tired of it super quick. I think I would too. Now granted the free roaming doesn't really afford you a whole lot because a lot of the stuff you do in free roaming you can actually access from the bulletin board menu, like marketplace and yeah. all of that. But it is nice to break up the monotony of just constant battles. I enjoyed it. Right. 
So the weapons triangle, a series staple. So apparently in every past Fire Emblem, one of the main mechanics is like sword beats spear beats flying or something like that. Right. I don't know what the triangle actually was, but for the first time ever, it was discarded in three houses in favor of having a more stylized battle system. Nintendo also pressured the developers to create something new and exciting for the first home console entry in 12 years. This led to the creation of battalions and teaching segments. Several other features from past Fire Emblem games were cut to strengthen the world's lore and make the monastery feel as if itself was an important character, which I think they succeeded at. Agreed. Sort of like how in the Harry Potter series, Hogwarts is kind of its own character. Right. And I like to call this game Anime Hogwarts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we'll move on to the setting and story. So, uh, as I think we said already, uh, Corey picked the Blue Lions house uh, as his. So, what made you go with Blue Lions, Corey? It was, I shuffled through, like, I looked at all the houses, looked at all the characters, and I thought, because each character has their own stats, and so I would look into each character, look at their stats, and to me, Blue Lions' characters were the most balanced because I wanted a more balanced approach to it. So that's why I went with them. I also feel like as far as the cast of the Blue Lions, they seem, as a group, the most likable. So I think I would have picked Blue Lions too. That and they were very, well, I guess they're all diverse, but Blue Lions definitely had a diversity among not only stats, but like what each character used and their personality traits and where they were from and all of that. Yeah. I did read, which I did not know this, but apparently the different houses have different uh, focuses. So like um, the Black Eagles apparently have more magic users and the Golden Deer focus on like ranged attacks. Yeah, because uh, that makes sense because Claude, I think, is the uses the bow. Right. So I can see where that would make sense. But I'm kind of surprised that Black Eagle would be more magic focused because Edelgard seems like she's more focused on power overall. So I figured they would have had like stronger people. I could be wrong. And I'm just like recalling what I read from memory. Well, we'll uh, find out when we play it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rich, I know you didn't get very far, but you said you picked the golden deer, right? Yes. So what made you go with them when you played? Do you remember? I did not analyze anything hardcore. Like you guys did. I just like, <laughs> huh, I like yellow. I like the color yellow. <laughs> Boom. Done. Well, I remember uh, when Disa, she uh, started, she was going to pick Edelgard because she liked the color of red. 
And I was like, really? You're going to just not even like look at the characters and see who you like more or anything. You're just like red. <laughs> but she ended up going with a different house, uh, Golden Deer, because one of the characters has blue hair. So <laughs> yeah, Marianne. Nice. <laughs> uh, when so I yeah. play it, I may go look a little deeper on, on some of that stuff. Yeah. I'll send uh, you my Excel spreadsheet with all of them. He has made more than one spreadsheet. (laughs) And it's color coded and everything. It looks scary. (laughs) Okay. So the basic uh, setup for this game is, so there's this uh, kingdom. What's the, Oh, the land is called Fodlan. Fodlan. And it's split into three like sort of divisions. There's the Adrestian empire, which is where um, Edelgard is from. There's the kingdom of Ferdias. Uh, the Holy Fargus. Kingdom of Fargus, yes. which is Dimitri's land. Uh, yep, that's where the Blue Lines are from. And then there's the Leicester Alliance, which is where the Golden Deer slash Claude is from. Uh, and these three factions used to war, but now they're united in peace. Um, and then at the center of all of it is the Church of Saros, which is basically just like this holy church that sort of uh, runs the entire kingdom. So um, we open... Basically, there's a monastery where cadets are trained by the, the Church of Saros. And you play as a character named Byleth. So basically, Byleth is a mercenary along with his father, uh, Geralt. I almost said Geralt, and I was like, nope, that's Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they happen upon the three uh, house leaders in trouble, although they don't know that they're the house leaders yet uh, under attack by bandits. They save them, and they get invited back to the monastery, which is ran by the archbishop, who's basically the head of the church. Her name is Lady Rhea. Um, Lady Rhea asks Geralt to rejoin the Knights of Saros, which are um, basically just like the the holy knights. Um, and then she asks Byleth to be one of the three head professors over the students which is pretty random. Like just ask somebody you just met to be, did they not have that position filled? Did they have to fire somebody to let Byleth in? I don't know. Well, I think with that, I think Raya doesn't have an issue with it because Byleth was born with a crest. And if you're born with a crest, you automatically are kind of, you know, top tier, if you will. Right. And as we'll find out later, Raya knows a lot more about Byleth than he even knows. <laughs> um, one other thing I forgot to mention that's important to the setup um, there's this little girl, uh, maybe like a preteen age, who lives in Byleth's head. Like only he can hear her, and she doesn't know who she is, but for some reason they're connected. And her name is Sothis. So, yeah, that's basically the basic setup. You uh, go throughout the months, you know, instructing your cadets on everything, and um, they just uh, get stronger, and, you know, things happen. So, you go to battles and in between battles, you are at the monastery, you run around, you train your cadets, you get to know them, you get to know the other characters. And that's basically the basic, uh, how things proceed in the game. So what did you think of the setup, Corey? Loved it. Um, because it, it's a very, they do a very good job of introducing you to the monastery, giving you just from the outset, now from the outset, you don't, get a hundred percent of the monastery. There are sections that are closed off and blocked and you'll get to them later, but it's still big enough world to where it's okay that sections are blocked off. You've got plenty of exploring and looking around to do. 
And yeah. not to mention that it's absolutely gorgeous. It is a set, like if you just stop and look around for a little bit, it's breathtaking how they've designed this, this world. It is without a doubt top tier. So we'll get to this later, but I do think the graphics are actually not that great, but because everything is like anime, um, it still looks good. <laughs> I think it looks fantastic. Um, Rich, you played the beginning. What did you think? I did not have a problem with it. I'm actually kind of interested in going back to it and picking up that game when it goes on sale again. Yeah. Um, the physical copy, um, unless somebody wants to gift one to me. <laughs> you can everybody out there. No. Um, so it overall was interesting, I think, if yeah. I can remember correctly on it. Um, the character design, just getting that first taste in a combat right off the bat was pretty good. And like we talked about, being voice acted right off the bat, like all the lines being voice acted, I thought that was a really good taste. To yeah. Even Great. like the random people you just talk to that aren't even like named characters are voiced. Yeah. So most time, most games that are really important characters, um, yeah. they're never voiced <laughs> or they don't, they don't sound interesting. They're like, go this way. Yeah. Go with that way. So by the way, um, before I forget, you can choose byless gender. So there's a male and a female version at the outset and we picked the male version. So when we refer to Byleth as a, he slash him. That's not any kind of sexism. That's just our experience with it. <laughs> oh, I forgot all about that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I think most people choose female, but uh, we didn't. When I play, I'll probably choose the female just for a different uh, experience. Okay. So, um, ready to jump in on like the main happenings of the game? Do it to it. Let's get it. Okay. So, like I said, Byleth um, is asked to be an instructor. There's also a character named Seteth, who is like Lady Rhea's right-hand man. And he's one of my favorite characters, but initially he's like sort of distrustful as Byleth. He doesn't really get why Lady Rhea is making like so many exceptions for him and why he's allowed to do like, you know, be an instructor and all that. I think he had another reason for not trusting him. Am I forgetting something, Corey? Uh, Not that I can remember. Okay. So after you get all settled in and, you know, meet all the characters and one thing I will say is it does sort of feel like everybody at the monastery is sort of like a family. Like even the characters that aren't in your house, you feel like a, a connection to. Um, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Well, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some characters like, well, it depends if you actually go around and talk to everybody. Because if you build a bond between um, characters that are outside of your house big enough, you can actually recruit them. So, Which I did twice. There's that whole element going on too. You got um, Dorothea, Dorothea and, and uh, Sylvain. I thought Sylvain was a blue line. I don't think he starts out in blue line. Mm-hmm. I don't remember you getting. He Dorothea. might. He might. Yeah. Um, so this game is divided into chapters, and each chapter takes place over the course of a calendar month. And so you go through the month, and conveniently at the end of every month is when the the battle, the story battle, takes place. <laughs> also sort of like Harry Potter like everything goes to shit at the end of the year conveniently every year <laughs> uh, so the first uh, mission is basically they want to have uh, a mock battle between the three houses just like a so everybody can get like a baseline of where they're at and like see where the houses stand against each other so that's a kind of a cool part you get to like see all the characters like fighting against each other right from the beginning yeah it's your introduction to the battle system yeah you learn how it all works um, which we'll talk about gameplay a little bit later 
Uh, and that's basically chapter one. You just had the mock battle. It's a nice introduction. Um, so what happens in chapter two, Corey? So chapter two, the we get our, our a mission from Lady Rhea to go take care of some bandits outside of the monastery. Um, on our way out, Gerald, our our dad, warns us uh, not to trust Rhea. Doesn't specifically say why, but we're told that we should not completely trust her. Apparently something so, happened between Gerald and Lady Rhea a long time that, ago. That or Gerald knows something about her that we don't. Yeah. Um, so you go to your, your first battle with uh, these bandits. And what's really cool about this part is when you attack and kill one of the bandits, um, if it's your first time killing somebody with this character, they will react differently. And each one, each character has their own unique reaction to taking a life. Some of them are okay with it. Some of them get really torn up about it, but it really is, you know, go into it and try to use everybody so that you can see the most of this. Right. That's basically it for that, that chapter. Um, yeah. By the way, a lot of these chapters, like not a lot happens. You just kind of get bits of information here and there. Yeah. Which at points was a little frustrating for me because I felt like long periods of time would go by without anything interesting happening in the story. Because I thought, like I said, I thought the setup was pretty good. And then it, I feel like it sometimes it took a while to get to more juicy story bits. Right. Uh, by the way, this is a spoiler review. So <laughs> if you don't want any major spoilers, maybe you should uh, fast forward to yeah. a different section. Or play the game and then yeah. listen to it. All right. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say... Uh, uh, are you okay with being spoiled on this, Rich? Yeah, I don't care. Okay. I'll, well, the thing is, we'll go through this, and I'll completely forget everything. So yeah. I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. You're like, you were on the review. Oh, that's right, I was. But also, assuming you pick a different house, you'll have like yeah. a, a pretty different experience. Yeah, True. This is This is one perspective. So Yeah, we're only covering right. really the blue lines today because that's the what we played. <laughs> yeah. We thought about holding off until we finish all three campaigns, but I don't even know if that'll happen this year. So <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. So I would say we're good. We could do this. So anyway, uh, in chapter three, Lord Lenato is one of the uh, kingdom lords and the adoptive father of Ash, which was a nice touch considering. I feel like we, there was a lot of family relations with other characters, with people in our house. So I, in that way, we were lucky we picked blue lines. Um, anyway, Lord Lenato has started an uprising and Rhea sends the blue lines out to quell the rebellion along with this like really powerful female knight, Lady Catherine, who isn't really that important to the story, but she's, she's sort of like the Beatrix of this game. <laughs> um, you better not be talking about Beatrix. <laughs> I am. <laughs> but uh, this character, Catherine, she's basically like Beatrix, sort of that archetype, like strong female warrior. Okay, as long as you're talking good things, I love yeah. me some Beatrix. I'm just saying. Yeah. Beatrix is my favorite character in nine. Yeah, so. <laughs> very underrated. Um, so they're successful in quelling the rebellion. They end up killing Lord Lenato, uh, but they never learn why he acted against the church. Like, why is he suddenly uprising? So more to learn about that later. Okay, so what's next, Corey? So in chapter four, um, we are introduced to this holy holiday, if you will, the goddess's right of rebirth. It's a big holiday for them, and the church learns of a plan to assassinate Lady Rhea during this holiday. So Rhea asks the class if they'll help with security, but they discover that the true plan is to actually raid the mausoleum 
for one of the hero's relics, which ends up being the sort of the creator. And the mausoleum is inside the monastery, and that's where nobody, you're forbidden entrance unless basically you're Lady Rhea. Right. So they have the sort of creator there. And these people, we don't know who, wants to get this sword. So we have to go down into the mausoleum. We're granted permission to go protect this sword. So we barely managed to fend off this person known as the Death Knight. And this character is an amazing character. I, I, I remember the first time I did this battle, um, went up to the Death Knight and I tried to you know, take him out and he obliterated me. Yeah, you're um, not supposed to attack him in this battle. <laughs> yeah, and then I attacked him and he took me out, no problems. Um, but anyway, so we're in the mausoleum. We get the Sword of the Creator. And because Byleth has this crest, he's actually able to use the sort of the creator. creator. And um, since we were able to use it and disband the, the Death Knight, who escapes, we don't kill him, uh, Raya lets us keep it. Nice. And uh, I think Seteth is a little upset about that. But <laughs> Yeah, Seteth did not like that. He's like, what the fuck, man? So basically there are these things called heroes relics. There's like 13 of them or something like that. But they're le- legendary weapons that only people with certain crests which you're born with uh can use so we're lucky that we get to use this uh crazy sword that also turns into a whip <laughs> yeah it's a pretty badass sword actually well you definitely uh, have to like maintain it and upgrade it but it's strong as hell yeah so um speaking of heroes relics in the next chapter one is stolen from house gatier <laughs> which is uh sylvain's house he's one of the blue lines um it turns out to be Sylvain's older brother who has stolen it because he doesn't have a crest. And so he feels like he sort of had his birthright stolen from him. Uh, the guy's name is Miklon, but he's not super important. Um, so then you meet these two characters, Rodrigue, who is Felix's father. He's one of the blue lines and Gilbert, Annette's father, also one of the blue lines. So they go with them. They stop Miklon. But uh, when Miklon tries to use the hero's relic, he gets turned into a demon. And so this is your first encounter with a a demonic beast, uh, which are a little different to fight. They're kind of big and scary-looking monsters. Take a lot of uh, damage. But you find out later that people without crests, if they try to wield a hero's relic, they basically turn into a demon. So that would suck. (laughs) Um, Tomas, who is the church priest, reveals that only people with crests can wield relics, like I just said. And that's basically that chapter. So things are heating up a little bit. All right. So going into the next chapter, Flane suddenly goes missing. And Flane is, you're introduced to her earlier in the story. But I think at this point, all you really know about her is that Rhea is kind of taking her under her wing and protecting her. And Seteth has a connection with her, but I don't. She's Seteth's little sister is what they tell you. Okay, so you do find that out this early. She's uh, younger than most of the cadets, so she's not really like participating as a cadet in the school. She's just like lives there. Right. So she goes missing. So they eventually track the kidnapper to Jaritza's room, uh, and that's where Manuela has been attacked. So you find Manuela laying on the floor, and it turns out that Jaritza is actually the Death Knight, and he was going to use Flame for a sacrifice because she has holy blood in her. So we have to go, we save Flame. Um, then a powerful, mysterious force known as the Flame Emperor intervenes. And this character's design is amazing. 
Um, so we saved Flame along with another student named Monica. Uh, Monica had actually disappeared the year prior to us getting there, uh, and they had been looking for her. So we find both of them. And then because we found Monica and saved Flame, uh, Sateth finally accepts Byleth and uh, Flame joins our class. Yeah, apparently uh, they think about like going into hiding Sateth and Flame again to just to protect Flame, but Flame convinces him that if she stays at the monastery and trains with the Blue Lions, that that's like better protection. That it's actually safer having all these people around. Yeah, and Jaritza was actually one of the, uh, the mercenaries uh, living at the church. So it turns right. out that the Death Knight was living there the whole time. One of our own mercenaries. Yeah, he's a... So the Death Knight looks, he has like this crazy skull helmet. He just looks like a demon himself. He's really cool looking. Um, so yeah. Um, and then moving on. So this next chapter, it's pretty cool, but nothing much major happens. There's a mock, they have another mock battle just to like gauge the progress of how the students are developing. So it's between the, the three houses again. And of course we win. And it's also kind of a, another chance for the game kind of introduces you to the other characters of the houses and you can kind of see how they interact and what weapons they use and all of that. Yeah. There's like a pretty cool, like animated scene. that's like, all right, time for our retry at the mock battle. And they're like, all going to battle. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, so after the mock battle, we move forward and we get reports of peasants suddenly going mad. They're going crazy in Ramir village. Um, and Gerald and the Blue Lions are sent to investigate what's going on. And when they get there, um, it's the, the town's on fire. As crazed villagers, they're all turning against each other. So this town is being flipped upside down. And this incident, we learn, was caused by Tomas, who was the church priest. But he reveals himself as a dark sorcerer, whose name is actually Solon. So it seems that he and the Death Knight is what has caused this mass chaos. Um, the Flame Emperor stops the attack and asks Byleth to join him. But Byleth refuses and everybody gets away. So we go back to the monastery and there is Lady Rhea. And she reveals that the name of this goddess that we keep hearing in our head is actually Sophus. So it's like, oh shit, the girl in my head is the goddess. <laughs> yeah. Um I, th- I never thought about it until just now, but like literally all, all of the villains were characters at the monastery in hiding. <laughs> yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. Well, moving on to lighter fare, there's a grand ball approaching the Yule ball. Uh, this is the Yule ball. anime Hogwarts. <laughs> oh, real quick before we move on. What'd you think of when the flame emperor actually asked us to join him? Uh, I thought well, that was really cool. Dynamic. He does give you the option of yes or no. Right. I, I would be surprised if saying yes actually does anything. But um, I, I would be interested to see if that changes anything as far as the the di- the options of how the story plays out. I would think no, just because that would change way too much. But <laughs> well, my guess is you would say yes, and then Dimitri would walk up. What are you doing? Professor? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the Flame Emperor kind of looks like uh, like a classic samurai type figure. Uh, he wears like this porcelain mask and has two swords and all that he looks like one of the yuga clan members from breath of the wild yeah that's a good description um so yeah moving on to uh the next chapter like i said there's a ball approaching um there's like this some students have been like going into a chapel uh 
spotted going into a chapel. So Rhea asks uh, Gerald and Byleth to investigate that. Um, so at the ball, Dimitri reveals that Edelgard, one of the other house leaders, is actually his half sister. So they like spent a year or two growing up together. Um, Byleth also witnesses Lady Rhea singing. And when he hears uh, Rhea's song, Sothis remembers teaching someone the song. So like we're learning more about the connection between Sothis and Saros and all that. Um, Gerald starts to tell Ballas something, but they are interrupted when demonic beasts appear at the chapel. So they've managed to fend them off. But Monica, the student that we saved a couple chapters ago that had been missing for a year, turns out to actually be like a demon woman named Kranya. So it was like a trap getting her back into the, the fold of the monastery. Um, she stabs Gerald, unfortunately, from behind. Um, Byleth tries to use his rewind time powers to save him, but then another uh, like dark mage, whose name is Thales, appears and <laughs> makes makes it happen anyway. So Gerald dies, and Byleth, who is like not known for his emotions, uh, actually cries over his dad's body. And Gerald's like, that's literally the first time I've seen you cry with this dying breath. Um, and then he tells uh, Byleth to look for something in his room. So Gerald dies. It's a really sad part. It's like the first big death of the game. Uh, how did you feel during that part, Corey? This was really well planned out because it caught me off guard completely. And I remember they, they did really good also because if you'll remember at, at this part, the um, music when you're in your room picking like what you're going to do, explore and whatnot, they actually changed it to be like more of a sad music. Oh, yeah. That like, whole month, the monastery yeah, has sad music. And instead of Byleth like standing in his like usual pose, like thinking he's actually just like slumped over and looking down. And yeah, they like they did really good with that. But I, I, I really liked how they played, played this out. Uh, Dimitri does give Balith a pep talk, which I really like that scene. Uh, actually, Dimitri's like, what are you going to do now, Professor? You have to pick yourself up and move on, which is ironic considering how things play out later. <laughs> <laughs> the Dimitri of, uh, of the future. Yeah. Uh, so Balith goes to see Lady Rhea, and she tells him that she knew his mother and that his mother was a nun. But they are interrupted before she can reveal more. Of course. Of course. It would, I feel like if you get interrupted, that's like a conversation you can continue as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, well. So what's next? All right. So we move forward and uh, Dimitri and Byleth happen upon the Flame Emperor, uh, Kranya, and Thales all plotting. So the Flame Emperor drops a dagger that Dimitri recovers. Um, so now we've got his dagger. And then that plot got, reminded me of like Game of Thrones, where like everybody wants to know what the de- where the dagger came from. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> did you get it? Um, so now we've got this dagger, and Rhea goes to deal with um, the Flame Emperor Kranya and Tails personally, which is a big big deal because she does not do this kind of thing. I've never she, seen her in battle or anything before. She, yeah, she has this whole army the knots of Saros at her beck and call, and then she's going to go handle it herself. Um, so we go into battle and after defeating Kranya, Solon, who was Tomas, um, uses her as a sacrifice to trap Byleth in a dark dimension. Um, Sothis then remembers that she is the goddess and that Rhea somehow sealed her 
inside Byleth when he was a baby. So she sacrifices herself and merges with Byleth to save him and grant him extreme holy power. Um, Byleth slays Solon and then uh, collapses from exhaustion. And when we wake up, we've got Rhea um, watching over us. This part of the game was insane. Yeah, it's like, like there was so much happening so fast. It it was insane. One but, of the big cre- like peaks of the story. Yeah, but God, you get sucked into it. Yeah, because uh, Sothis has to basically. I mean, it's not like she's dead because she merges with Violet, but she sacrifices like her sense of self. So you right. don't really deal with Sothis after this. But Violet's hair does turn green. Best say it turns uh, from like a dark blue to a, a very light green, which is which the color is, of Sothis's hair. Right. Which actually, it's also flames and sateths and rays. That must be like a, a holy hair color. The the light green, yeah, the light green hair symbolizes um, holy power. By the way, I think you were asking about Flane earlier, but you find out about her backstory in like a side quest uh, is when they tell you that she is actually Sateth's daughter. Yeah. And I don't think we ever, like, we must have never finished all of her side quests because we never found out like the reason she doesn't age. I mean, you assume it's associated with the holy blood, but. No, I, I actually remember them talking about that in the game, but I can't remember what the actual reason was. Yeah. But I, I know they address it in the game. Right. Okay. So uh, after, you know, we lose Sothis, but we're a holy man now. Seteth, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who has also discovered Gerald's diary and found, finds out that, you know, Rhea did something to Byleth when he was a baby. He actually confronts Rhea, which is a big deal for him because he's like her number one right-hand person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhea wants the entire school to go to the holy tomb so that Byleth can receive some kind of divine revelation as St. Saros did before him. And St. Saros is sort of like the Jesus figure of this religion. <laughs> uh, so Byleth sits on Selthus's throne, uh, but nothing happens. But that's when the Flame Emperor and his forces attack along with the forces of the Adrestian Empire for some reason. Oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Why are they here? We're supposed to be friends. Um, so they managed to drive the forces off, but in the process it is revealed that the Flame Emperor is Edelgard. <sighs> that was a big twist. That was, I, yeah, that was huge. I didn't see that coming. When it I, nope, not at all. <laughs> like I had to stop playing for a second. I was like, what the fuck? I wasn't like really like wondering at any point who is the flame emperor really. I was thinking like that's just a demon man, <laughs> <laughs> not even the right gender. Um, so that's like a big reveal, and then Dimitri like fucking loses it because he's so pissed that the flame emperor is somebody he trusted, Edelgard. Um, so he's like vows to you know slay Edelgard himself. So that's a big deal. Dimitri's known to lose it. Yeah, very, he, he's quick to fly off the handle. Yeah. Well, actually, young Dimitri's not. He's very even killed. Right. But I think this was like, I guess you could say, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back for so Dimitri. So one of the blue lions, Felix, he's been saying the whole game, like, oh, you don't know the real Dimitri. It turns yeah. out he was kind of right. Because <laughs> he calls him the boar because yeah. he's quick to anger and then will rage and you can't get in his way. So... Uh, fitting nickname. Yeah. So after all of this, um, we learned that the Empire plans to attack in two weeks. Uh, Rhea asked Byleth to assume her position if something happens to her, which is a 
enormous responsibility. It's like, hey, uh, will let, you lead the entire church when I if I? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Lady Rhea is the Archbishop of of this world, and yeah. she's going to hand it to Byleth if something happens to her. Um, she then tells Seteth that Byleth is the vessel for the progenitor god, and that eventually the progenitor god will be resurrected through him. Um, so when the Empire attacks, Rhea, and this took my breath away, Rhea transforms into a giant dragon called the Immaculate One. However, she's attacked by multiple demonic beasts, um, I believe that the Adrestian Empire brought. Um, and then during this battle, you know, we've got, we're all in battle trying to help Rhea. And during this chaos, we, Byleth, get knocked off a cliff. And Rhea disappears, and the Empire defeats the church. So we have lost this battle, and now a full-scale war um, begins between the Empire, um, Fargus, and Lester. Yep, so the houses are all at, at war again. Uh, when Rhea turned into a dragon, I was like, could she always do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, you've, you've not told us this part about you. Yeah. So this is like the begin, the end of part one of the game. And then after that is when there's a big five-year time jump and things change a lot. I've also heard that this is where the storyline between the three houses really starts to diverge. Everything talk, about before a, that, talk about a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you still over there, Rich? Poor Rich. We've, uh, we've just I'm abandoned here. him. <laughs> I'm here. I'm just listening and working on a couple of things too. But like... It, the story that you guys had in the first part it sounds really engaging. Um, a lot of different twists and turns in that first part um, really would bring a lot of people into the series, I think, if they really like this type of storyline. So after hearing all that, are you more interested in playing than you? I am. Okay. I am more interested in playing. The only thing you have to keep in mind is, <clears throat> yes, there's a lot of, you know, all, all of this happens and there's a lot of twists and turns, but there's a few hours between each of these events happening of battles and exploring. And it wouldn't uh, be a J- JRPG if it didn't. True, <laughs> especially if you're doing like side quests, you can go like long periods of time between big story points. Like I will usually rag on Scott about him wanting to do everything in a game and get a hundred percent. This game actually made me first game in a long time that's made me want to do everything. Yeah. Okay, uh, so I guess we'll move on to part two. Uh, and like I said, this takes place five years later. Um, apparently, Byleth was out for all five of those years. Talk about a sleepy real, real quick, every time I see these headings, I just think of that screen in the game where you have that guy. <laughs> part two, Azure Moon. Yeah, so every time you start a new month, which is also a new chapter, there's like narrations. Like, just like oh, that's said, pretty cool. Part two, Azure Moon. And then it'll tell you something about like what's going on in the world. And and they do this real cool, like cartoony drawing. And this narrator gives you like some backstory about what's been happening. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I did like that, especially because like they did some like custom classic. I don't know how to describe it, but like ancient looking artwork for each. Right. Um, it, it's really, really cool, cool design choice. Um, so Byleth wakes up. He learns that the capital of Fargus uh, has been captured by the Empire. The Leicester Alliance has fallen into civil disarray. The monetary and the monastery has been abandoned to thieves. Um, so Byleth goes into the monastery and he finds Dimitri, who is now a, like a broken and vengeance obsessed like 
vagrant type person. Like, <laughs> really is. He has this great billowing cape, but like his hair is like all out of control, and he's got an eye patch. He's like not the you know proper like. He's he's just not the same guy that we used to know. Um, so the two combine forces and they team up to like run the thieves out of the monastery. And during this battle, um, Gilbert, one of the the knights of Saros, shows up along with all the former blue houses or blue lions houses as students. So they made like a promise five years ago that like on this day they would all return to the monastery. It just seems like kind of ironic that they all show up <laughs> for it considering what happened but they're people of their word yeah um so dimitri was thought to be dead apparently but he managed to escape his execution thanks to dadu his uh sort of his right hand man but dadu was executed instead in the process right which is sad because you're like uh you're just going to kill off one of my students just like that <laughs> I-, I spent a lot of time leveling them up yep and then all of a sudden just gone yeah but I mean, you almost expect to have lost. I expected to lose more than just one because I mean, the game makes it very clear that last battle with Raya was huge and we lost. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, so they begged Dimitri to become the leader of the resistance, which makes sense because he is the king basically. <laughs> um, but he's just too obsessed with revenge, like getting taken vengeance on Edelgard. So he refuses to do anything like leaderly. Like that's all he talks about. Yeah. And Gilbert takes Bal at the side and asks him to like help lead Dimitri back to his right man, right mind. So that's sort of like your main overarching goal for the second part of the story. Yeah. Good luck with that. Anyway. So then we move on to the next chapter. So in this chapter, the students are cleaning and rebuilding, um, the monastery and making plans to defeat the empire. And you can tell the monastery has taken quite a bit of damage. Um, the cathedral has lost part of its ceiling and there's multiple walls that they're having to rebuild. Sort of like ruins almost. Yeah. Um, but it still stands and they're going to fix it up. So forces are sent to the monastery to retake it, but we actually repel them. So we have finally successfully defended the monastery. Um, throughout all this, Dimitri displays much more cruelty and insanity than we could have expected. He, he says things like people you capture, he's like, don't take them to prison. I'll remove their head myself. Like, yeah, he, he's basically at this point, he's now a take no prisoners and death is too kind for these people. Chop their heads off. Yep. And he wants nobody to live. Um, so we contact Rodrigue. And we request um, reinforcements just so because we're anticipating another attack against the monastery. But um, the monastery is very um, it's a strategic location for supply lines and it's right in the middle of all the alliances. So we want to hang on to it. Um, and then we all argue over whether to take the empire capital or retake the kingdom capital of Fargus. I think everybody wants to take retake the kingdom um, except for Dimitri, who just wants to get to the Edelgard Dim- as fast as Dimitri he can. is hell bent on just getting Edelgard's head. Right. Um, so they they go on their way to meet up with Rodrigue's forces. On the way, they are ambushed by a traitorous kingdom family. I don't remember which one. There's lots of like one battle villains during this yeah. part of the game. But um, but Dimitri calls them out because he knows his last name. Right. Um, so Rodrigue shows up and helps like sort of save the day and defeat the 
the enemies. Um, and then Rodrigue also tries to convince Dimitri to retake the city. But, of course, it falls on deaf ears. Um, and then, so their next plan, it sort of is to like try to appeal to Claude to join forces with the Leicester Alliance against the Empire. And the Alliance has sort of taken like this, like, you know, neutral stance. Yeah, Lester decided to just stay out of it and let Edelgard do her thing, let Fargus do their thing. You know, don't bother us, we don't bother you. All right. Um, so what's next? So now we're leading into, I loved this chapter name called the Rose Colored River. Um, so with Claude's blessing, um, we move to take the Great Bridge of Murden. And we Which actually is in go, Alliance territory. Yeah, it's um, right on the edge of Empire and Leicester Alliance uh, land. And we go here a couple times. And so with Claude's blessing, we go there and we are successful in taking that bridge. And <laughs> surprisingly, while right after battle here, or, or during battle, we reunite with Dudu. He actually was not dead the entire time. Surprise. Turns out to do was rescued by a feller, fellow uh, Dusker uh, citizen. Um, and with this, Dimitri begins to show remorse for so much needless violence because Dudu actually can reach Dimitri in ways that other people cannot. Dudu was kind of a shock to Dimitri's system, I guess right. you could say. And like I said, I wasn't surprised at all when Dudu came back because I'm, I was sort of like, that was one of our, like our characters we've had since the beginning. They're not just going to like kill him off screen without some kind of grand death. <laughs> right. And he was always Dimitri's right hand man. So, yeah. So Dudu's back. Everybody's reunited. Um, so next in chapter 17, Imperial forces start gathering at Fort Mercius and they're commanded by Edelgard herself. The kingdom forces try to ally with the Alliance, but apparently the messenger from the kingdom to the Alliance is assassinated en route. So like they were never able to, the Alliance never found out that they were trying, wanted to work together. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, there's a side plot where um, some people are starting to think that Dimitri's stepmother, Lady Patricia, orchestrated the tragedy of Dusker, which we forgot to bring up at the beginning. I was going to, but I was like, maybe we bring it up later. <laughs> I think like, so what was it like five years before the start of the game, there was like this massacre uh, in Dusker. Yeah. Like the, all of the Dusker people were basically just killed where they stood and they didn't take any prisoners, just wiped the city. Wasn't it like Dimitri's uncle died in that as well or something like that? Dimitri had family members and to do had um, lost his entire family. Right. So it was like a big deal. And it also like sort of painted the people from Dusker as like, uh, almost like a people are racist against them. Yeah. They, they for what happened. Yeah. They Dusker citizens are a second class citizen. Yeah. Uh, so they think that maybe lady Patricia, who was Demetrius stepmother and Edelgard's mother, um, might have been behind the assassination because no one knows what happened to her or behind the tragedy. I mean, um, that turns out they later find out that that is indeed true. Um, so that's a big shock, but I sort of felt like this plot line fell flat kind of cause we didn't, we never knew who Patricia was or met her or anything. And yeah, it, it's this big betrayal. I think they talked about Patricia twice before this reveal. So mm -hmm. it definitely didn't have the, the impact of some of the other kind of shock and awe. It keeps coming the, up. Like the game. It comes up like four or five different times. That, oh, I can't believe Patricia did this. And it's like, I don't 
care that much, but, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, um, so they travel to Gronderfield where there's another three-way battle between the three houses. So it's sort of like another mock battle almost, but now it's like for real and you're out for blood. Now it's for keeps. And during all these battles, it's kind of harsh because you are fighting students from the other houses, uh, you know, five years later. And it sort of sucks because you kind of have to kill them. Uh, Sometimes they actually die. Sometimes they're like, okay, I'll miss retreat now, but usually they die. So it's like, ugh. I like that yeah. character. And I yeah, you're killing that. people that you talked to in the first part of the game and th- got along with. I think that's part of what the story was trying to do, though, is like sort of like paint how real the tragedy of war kind of is. Yeah, the pain of death. So I thought that was a pretty cool like touch. Um, so after we emerge victorious in that battle, this peasant girl that we recruited and or let stay with us, I don't even remember her name, but uh, she tries to kill Dimitri. But Rodrigue sacrifices himself and like takes the the blow instead, and Rodrigue dies, uh, which you know further incenses Dimitri. So Dimitri tries to leave alone to kill Edelgard, but Byleth catches him like in the dead of night, and finally like convinces Dimitri to forgive himself. They have a little bromance, heart to heart, if you will. Yeah, and so Dimitri is basically like he goes back to his old self before the time skip. Not so you know, revenge obsessed. It's like, Oh, thank God. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. So by I did like Dimitri. Like I did think he's a really cool character, but Oh yeah, I did too. After the time, just, shift, I was like this asshole. <laughs> yeah. It's just, he, he starts to wear on you a little bit with, it's like, all right, we'll get Edelgard. Shut up about it. Like, yeah. come on, <laughs> let's, we can talk about other things, you know? Right. All right. So Byleth is uh, talked Dimitri down from his dark place. So Dimitri, um, comes into the monastery and the, our entire class is gathered around and strategizing and talking about this, that, and the other. And Dimitri apologizes for basically being a dick for the past, you know, however long it's been now. Yeah. So he apologizes and everybody, you know, talks to him and basically forgives him. And now their plan is to liberate the kingdom capital known as Ferdiad. So, they convinced the oppressed citizens to revolt and defeat Cornelia, who was one of Edelgard's uh, right-hand women at this point. So she's got Cornelia watching Ferdiad, and now she's got an uprising on her hands. Um, but before dying, Cornelia does reveal that she helped Patricia orchestrate the tragedy of Dusker. So now we know that she had her hands in it. So Dimitri retakes the throne to the applause of his people, and soon they receive a message from Claude asking for help. So this is kind of like, you know, the title of the chapter is The King's Triumphant Return. So we are now back where we belong. We have the people on our side. Um, and we've proven that we are, you know, a strong force. So now we've got Claude saying, hey, you know, I can use some help down here in Leicester because it kind of seems like to me Edelgard almost went into panic mode and like, oh shit, we got to do something. And pulled yeah. the old attacking the wrong person. There's like a big scene here where Dimitri walks out onto like the castle balcony and like his people are like cheering for him. Uh, so he's like, Oh shit, I am the king. <laughs> yep. Um, the king has returned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so things are starting to look up. So they go to the Alliance territory to try and save Claude. Um, they intervene and win, but it turns out that Claude actually let his own forces get trapped or pinned 
so that Dimitri's forces can come from behind and like they sort of defeat the empire through a pincer attack. Um, which, you know, smart move on Claude's part. Very World War Two. Yeah, he uh, he had no apparently Claude had no doubt that Dimitri and the other blue lions would show up to save him. Yeah, he even yeah, tells him like, I knew that you were you were coming, so I didn't care to put us in a you know dire predicament. Right. So they uh, abolished the Empire's forces in the Alliance territory. Um, and after that, Claude basically says he's done being the leader of the Alliance. He wants to go pursue his own uh, pursuits. And he basically disbands the Alliance and cedes all of its territory to the to Dimitri's kingdom. So no more Leicester Alliance. I didn't see that coming. When yeah, one of the like, three one of the three holy kingdoms just gone. Yeah. <laughs> now there's only two. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of like the Golden Deers part in the story for the most part. It would have been cool if like you had got all his students, but we might have accidentally killed some of them along the way. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I was kind of expecting that, honestly, when that would have been Claude cool. hands it over. I was like, oh, we're going to get Claude's students and I'm going to have more people in battle now. But unfortunately Although not. We are really close to the end of the, the story here, though. So I guess that's maybe right. one reason they didn't do it. Um, also, to cap that off, um, Claude said he's, he's going to leave Fodlin completely and gives us a tidbit of news that the empire has imprisoned Rhea. Oh, right. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. That. That's a, that's a big little piece. To so this whole time, nobody has known where Rhea is and they're like, well, we'll find her eventually, I guess. Um, but cause she's but Claude, I wonder how Claude knew that the empire had, he's her. probably got like spies going all around everywhere. Probably that or he, uh, since he stayed neutral, maybe he was still a little friendly with Edelgard. Who knows? All right, so moving on. So now we have um, taken basically the capital city of, um, of Ferdiad, and we now have the Leicester land. So now we're going to make plans. We're going to take Fort Mercius, which is also known as the Impregnable Fortress. And it is one of the last strong strategic points that Edelgard holds. Um, and it's so important that she's even put the Death Knight um, as commander of this fort. Um, so we take the fort, we storm it, we slay the death knight. And then afterwards, a man claiming to know the truth about the tragedy of Dusker comes forward. And that's basically how that chapter ends. You yep. only killed the death knight. Yeah. The big thing was you got Edelgard's last strong standpoint and you right. get rid of the death knight. His death was sort of anticlimactic, but I did read that apparently there's some extra scenes here if you had done some certain side quests and you find oh, out I'm the, sure. the Death Knight is like Mercedes's half-brother. Which so, is weird because I don't know what side quests I could have missed because I thought I was pretty diligent on doing most everything. Who knows? We'll have to look it up later. Um, so yeah, they take, they've take they retaken the fort. Um, the man that came forward about the tragedy confirms that Patricia was behind it, um, but Dimitri's at the point to where he doesn't care. He can understand why Patricia did it. Although, you know, it did, it did result in lots of death. So yeah, <laughs> basically Patricia wanted, she thought if the tragedy happened, she could disappear in the night and be taken back to her daughter in the empire. Um, so the week before the battle, Byleth and Dimitri meet with Edelgard. They're trying to like do some kind of peace treaty, see if they can like take, make one last shot at talking things out. Basically, uh, Edelgard believes that with her uh, in power and the church gone, that the cycle of like the the nobles abusing the poor and like the downtrodden will end. And Dimitri thinks that 
causing all that death just to make that happen is even worse. So they're unable to come to a peaceful resolution. Um, so at this point in the story, Byleth, you actually can choose to propose to any character that you have a built a certain a certain uh, support rating with. Of course, what a weird mechanic. <laughs> I stayed asexual. I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corey actually chose to be forever alone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I don't know who I would have picked, but one of my complaints. I know this is a Japanese game, but um the homosexual options are not great. <laughs> no, they weren't. There are a few, but they're all like the old man characters for some reason. <laughs> you can't yeah. like, there was like romance, any of the hot younger. You, you don't like some old man. What, what's <laughs> up with that? Some of that silver Fox. No daddy. <laughs> Jeez. And then the one like Dare younger, you. younger option was, uh, Lorenz, I believe. And he was just very, such an asshole. Yeah. Lorenz isn't great. So, Hopefully we get some progress in that field eventually. But so we didn't really pursue romance. Um, so then the final chapter. Uh, oh, wait. So I meant to say they do manage to retake Embar, which is the, the empire capital. So basically Edelgard's cornered and out of options. And it looks like the empire is going to lose here. Finally. Finally. And then we get to the final chapter. And then Edelgard transformed herself into that de- demonic beast at the end of that chapter, too. He turns into, like, Demon Guard. <laughs> yeah, Demon Guard. <laughs> All right, so the final chapter of the game, known as the Oath of the Dagger, which might be a little callback. Um, so Dimitri and his forces defeat the demonic Edelgard in this big, epic battle that the game has laid out. And then Dimitri tries to make one last peace offering, but she throws her dagger at him. And that forces Dimitri to kill her. So after this, Dimitri unites all of Fodlin under his prosperous rule as king. And Rhea is rescued and she steps down as archbishop of the church and passes her role on to Byleth. That's basically it. There's like this big uh, epilogue that goes, it sort of tells you like what happened to each character after the end. Like you find out a couple of your students got married and like, a couple of them went traveling the lands and like, yeah. everybody's happy for the most part. Some of them stayed back and like worked for Dimitri or worked for Byleth at the monastery or became a teacher. And... Right. So, so this chapter is very anticlimactic. Uh, actually, I was just about to get to that. I would say it is very anticlimactic. Okay. I was wondering, basically from what you've been talking about the entire chapter summary of everything, I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty interesting. Get this one. And it's just like, eh. It just right. sort of ends yeah. <laughs> after all that buildup. Right. It's like, and now it's over. <laughs> but now like the battle itself and the, the back and forth between Dimitri Edelgard, that part's really cool, but it's just really strange that you find out final information through text boxes. <laughs> yeah. There's no like ending scenes really like the, the last main scene is Dimitri killing Edelgard and everything yeah. after that is like, and then here's what happened. <laughs> and then story time. Yeah, story time. Well, uh, it's probably because it took two years to make this game because they didn't let their developers get any sleep. And they're like, just screw it. Just last chapter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, text boxes. Done. So one, one, of the big my mis- family. one of the big mysteries of the game is, um, in the first part, is what Lady Rhea was doing and what she was trying to accomplish and her whole motives. Is she bad? Is she good? We don't know because you don't really. It basically says Lady Rhea was rescued and stepped down, and that's it. That's all you find out about her. 
I well, mean, you would you have to assume that she wasn't evil because they wouldn't have let her step down, and you know they would have killed her. What I'm thinking is that there's you sort of have to play all three campaigns to get the full story because I did read that you find out more about her and like the golden deer plot. True. We'll probably learn more once we play the other houses, which I'm very much looking forward to. So it's good that they saved some surprises for the other campaigns, I guess. But at the same time, it's like not everybody is going to play all three campaigns. Yeah. You put a hundred hours into that, Corey. Yeah. I'm ready to do it. (laughs) (laughs) He he really likes the game, but um, you'll you'll see with the, you'll see by the ratings. I really enjoyed this. game. Okay. So what would you say about the story overall? Like, how did you feel about it, Corey? Um, I thought it was fantastic. It it really pulled me in. It, this was one of those games that once I started playing it and got into the game, it was very hard to, to set the controller down and step away. Um, kind of sucks that I started it before I got my job and then got my job and had to like play little bits here and there. Yeah, and stupid jobs. Uh, stupid work. But uh, <laughs> once you get into it, it, re- it really pulled me into it and I really loved how they did the anime style cutscenes. Um, the, Which there the, were more of them. Yeah, the, those were really cool. But story, story overall, I thought was impressive. I really liked it. Um, did kind of almost end in this almost too happy of a world. But yeah, hey, it is what it is. Um, I think for, for my part, I think that the story has some really high highs. Like there are some great moments in there. But then I also think it has some pretty low lows where like you go long periods of time where nothing happens. Um, so I would like be doing my own thing a lot of nights and tell Corey like, Hey, tell me when you get to the story and then I'll pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then the ending, like I said, it's just a huge damper for me. I felt like it just sort of, it almost ruined everything that came before for me. Um, I think the story in the first part was a lot stronger than the story in the second part personally, because I sort of felt like, the only main driving force of the plot in part two was can we bring Dimitri back to his senses? And that was just sort of an annoying plot line for me. I would agree. Part one was definitely the stronger story, Mm -hmm. but in part two, I also liked how they switched the focus into a, they, I felt like they really tried to grab hold of the fact that it's a strategy game and started pushing, Hey, we have to figure out how we're going to deal with Edelgard. How are we going to get back to normalcy? Which I enjoyed. It just right. wasn't as a variety story like part one was. Another thing that uh, makes me hesitate before starting another campaign is I know replaying, even though part one is great, like having to replay that without much differences. It's like, oh, I got to play it through 50 hours before I get to the differences. <laughs> well, we'll still, I, I mean, it'll be different enough. We're going to have new characters, new, yeah. new, you know, new text, new, probably a couple of new stories in there here and there about, you know, their, the students and their backs, backstory and all that. So I'm actually not too worried about it. So who, um, one thing about the story, the strength of it is really the characters. Uh, you Probably. really get to know each character. Like there's lots of dialogue and each character has like their own subplots going on, um, which we didn't really touch on any of those because we would be here for another couple hours. But Well, each character has their own backstory. Like they didn't skip anybody and it's a full on backstory. Right. Um I think that's really where the story shines is you, you like, you really feel like each character, especially the ones in your house are like sort of part of your family. Um, so that's really cool. 
who was your favorite character, Corey? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, as far as just story goes, um, obviously Byleth was really interesting. Um, I came around on Sateth. I started out not liking him, but he kind of grew on me. Um, I would say, ooh, that's tough. Um, Mercedes jumps to the top of my list because mainly her backstory, you know, her dad pushing her to not do her own thing, but to kind of shut up and be a housewife. Yeah. And she, you know, struggles with this internal battle, the entire game of, should I do what my dad wants? Should I do what I want to do? And then she grows up and she decides, you know what? It's my life. I'm going to live it how I want to. I liked that. So I'd say probably, uh, Mercedes is up there. Ash is up there in Byleth. I'd be tough to pick between those three. Okay. Um, Byleth is interesting, but I'm glad you mentioned him because I feel like that's one thing I don't like about the story is Byleth is a silent protagonist. Right. Um, so I'm like, you've got this game full of like personality, chock full of characters, um, lots of conversations. And it's like, your main character has the personality of a, a, a brick wall. <laughs> so, oh, they kind of, they let you build the personality though. Yeah. I would say, do, does that character talk at all? Like, is there any dialogue between you? Okay. So that actually was a pretty big uh, story element back in the nineties with um, any role-playing games. Yeah. If you remember a lot of the main characters didn't talk. Yeah, it's true. So, I don't know if that's the case in other fire emblem games or if that's just the, what they chose for this game in particular. Um, but I, I don't like that trope. I feel like it's very hard to get right. <laughs> well, doing it now doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Especially with cool. all that voiced dialogue. That's right. Um, so they also do that so that they give you, you know, the, the choice dilemmas throughout yeah. the game. That was another thing. It gives you lots of like um, dialogue options, but I feel like they rarely matter <laughs> what you pick, which is some of them do. Some don't. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it like the conversational pause to give you a dialogue option. And there are, you'll have one option. It'll be like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why did it's you? It's like, come on, this doesn't even need to be there. Yeah. Uh, my favorite character was Manuela, who she's, <laughs> she's one of the other professors. She's sort of like a middle-aged woman, except for she um, dresses kind of skimpily. And she, all she cares about is like, she wants to get a man. <laughs> yep. Her goal in life is not to be lonely. She's always like flirting with Byleth and like being like, why do men hate me? Why does, it, does a date never go right for me? <laughs> She's just a really funny character. What's that uh, one line? Why do, why do men run away from me? Like uh, <laughs> somebody in battle runs away. So the death knight attacks her at one point in the story. And then way later in the story, she's like, even the death knight ran away from me. <laughs> uh, so that was, I've like burst out laughing at that line. Um, I also really like Seteth and Flane. And I feel like Lady Rhea would have been one of my favorite characters if I felt like her story was resolved with any kind of finality. They did a really good job with Rhea of, at the first of the game. You don't know if she's like some evil genius using you to, you know, for her evil gains or if she's actually like good and trying to do good for the people. And that it is really one cool twist is that the church, and for once in an RPG, the church was not evil, at least yeah. in our story. <laughs> yeah, it was one of your own fucking characters. Yeah. So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up the story. You uh, got anything else you want to add before we move on? No, I think we pretty much I have a lot to add. Up. How do you? <laughs> I'm just I bet you do. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I like right. the colors. <laughs> Great. Good. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, move on to the next section, which is gameplay. Okay, so the basic gameplay. Um, the main component is the battles. So you have it's like a strategy RPG, sort of like Final Fantasy Tactics um, and other games like that. Reminds me of Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah, kind of like Valkyria Chronicles too. You have this grid-based uh, battlefield, and you basically move. You, you select your character. You select where you want them to move, and it's sort of like a strategic decision where you want them to be positioned because the enemy gets a turn too, so they'll be able to reach you if you go uh, to certain spots. But basically, I think everybody, most people know how strategy RPGs play, and this one is basically a straight strategy RPG when it comes to the battles. Um, you've got some options, like different characters can use magic, and there's a, a class system at play. You've got knights and mages and people riding horses and shit like that. Um so what did you think of the battle system, Corey? Now, also, the, the, we, you talked about it earlier in past Fire Emblems with the weapon triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, those elements still do come into play in this game because, like, for instance, swords are strong against lance users, and lance users are strong against certain knights that swords aren't. So there is still that element, too. Right. Um, there's a new feature called Battalions, Oh, yeah, the battalions. Basically, you just have this own separate magic meter. It's called BP, I think, battalion points. And you just send out like a, a shit ton of soldiers to just like charge the enemy. Uh, those come in, the yeah, those are handy against uh, demonic beasts because if you don't hit them with a battalion, um, they you won't confuse them and then they'll hit you and they are super powerful. Right. Um, you can dispatch... Uh, you can sort of like position your characters in a certain way where they can, can combine battalions as well. Which was a cool little aspect. Yeah. There's like criticals and misses for Corey. Like he eventually got to the point where a lot more attacks missed than they connected with as far as like enemy attacks. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of like what other interesting elements there are to the battle system. Um, there's, there's actually a lot to it. There's a lot going on in them. Yeah, because when you're in the battle, you can also trade items between um, 
character. So, you know, if I need a potion to heal and I'm playing as Ash, I can move next to Mercedes and she can give me one of her potions, which wouldn't be needed anyway because Mercedes was my mage. Right. But um, you can trade items. You can pick up items on the field. Um, There's parts where there's like little glowing purple like clouds coming out of the ground. If you land and stop on that space, you'll find um, like an old weapon um, that gets put in your inventory. Um, There's gold ones. And if you end on the gold ones, you get extra um, experience points and it's usually a hefty amount. Um, There's chests that are out there and you have to find a chest key um, off an enemy to open them. Um, Some battles have doors that you have to defeat enemies to find a door key to go through. Um, Grander field, and a few others have um, certain weapons that are just like built into the into the field, um, usually like archer type stuff, and you can actually use those weapons to defeat your enemies. Um, God, there's a lot to battles, and then there's the whole if you land next to somebody, then your what do they call it? It's like your your relationship like is stronger, and so if somebody like when your enemies hits you because you've built a strong relationship with this person behind you, they do less damage. You're actually stronger. And then they can like jump in front of you and help you defeat an enemy or take the damage for you. There's a lot to it. Um, So towards the beginning of the game, the battles can go for a while. Like I I think you had multiple battles that went for over an hour. I mean, I think the whole game, you only lost one battle, but yeah, there's also the setting to where, it's like a classic thing about Fire Emblem. You can have it to where if a character is killed in battle, then they're dead. You just don't have that character anymore and you miss out on all their dialogue and story scenes and stuff, which is insane to me. Which I did not do. Yeah, we, we did not play with that feature, but it is a major thing about Fire Emblem, worth mentioning. Um, we played on normal, so you did have characters die sometimes, but I, I feel like it wasn't that often. But if it we had played that way, by the end of the game, you probably would have had about half of... I was about to say, I would probably had like four or five characters left. There's also, I think this is a new feature. Um, it's called Divine Pulse. Basically, because you have Sothis, you're able to rewind time a certain number of times in battle. So if you really fuck up, you can be like, okay, let's go back to this point in battle. And you have a list of literally turn by turn what happened. And you choose which point you want to rewind to. So that's a really cool feature. Mm-hmm. You didn't use it that often, though. No, I, well, I didn't really need to. Yeah. Now it'd have been if if I was playing where I actually my characters actually died, I probably would have used that a lot more. Yeah, I think Disa is um, she's playing with both deaths on and not allowing herself to use the divine pulse. <laughs> more more power to you, girl. But she's also had to restart the game. <laughs> yeah. So. I can't imagine doing that. The game's already so long. Can you imagine me getting like 67 hours in and then having to restart because I lost all my characters? Sounds like something Rich would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's basically the battle system. So there's one main battle at the end of every month, but there's also um, side battles that you can do. There's like paralogue quests, which is basically there's some story to it, but it's not related to the main story. Like each character has a set of paralogue battles where you find out more about their backstories. Um, and then there's also, what are the, what's the, 
there's auxiliary battles, yes, which I is like you, it's just a random mission. So you can go out and get experience and um, they'll usually have some type of reward. Like you'll get gold or you'll right. get, you know, rare items that you can cook with. Yeah. So basically you can do as almost as many battles as you want to. Um, so that's, that's about it for the battle system. The other main component of the gameplay is like we've talked about earlier, roaming, free roaming the monastery. Um, so on Sundays you can choose between like a variety of different activities. Um, the, usually the first Sunday of every month, you, most people, uh, roam the monastery. There Saturdays. Is this, Saturdays. Okay. Uh, there's this cool feature where the game tells you, here's what other players normally do on this day because you have, what are they like teacher points? You can, you can explore. Instruct. Go to, go to a seminar. Rest and God was a uh, battle. Right. And I forget what the points are called, but you have a certain number of points. That you oh, prof- professor experience. Yes. So that sort of like you can allocate how I want to spend these points. Do I want to spend this time, you know, teaching my kids? And do I want to spend this time going to battle? Do I want to spend the time going to the monastery? Because you can only do so much per day. Right. So that's a cool feature. Um, it sort of makes you like balance out what you're doing. And you really only need to go to the monastery like once, maybe twice a month as far as free roam. I think I would usually explore it twice. Yeah. Um, so while you're roaming the monastery, you can go around and talk to every character. They all have like new dialogue and scenes and stuff. Um, you can like go to the market to replace your inventory. Um, you can go fishing. There, It's a Japanese RPG, so there is a fishing mini game. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, you can like sort of go to the greenhouse and plant some stuff that like the next month it'll bloom and give you items. Um, there's like a feature where you, it's sort of like a suggestion box where somebody will like submit their problems and then you guess you give advice to it, but you have to like guess which character submitted it. What else is there to do in the monastery? There's the, the training grounds where you can go, they'll do different um, weapon type tournaments. Oh yeah. And you, you can enter one of your students and if they win, you'll get, experience and usually you'll get like a big um gold reward that Mm -hmm. you can spend um you can uh have meals with two students at a time and what this does is increases or replenishes their motivation which is used to um instruct and teach them and build them up um on sundays um you can have two at a time um and it also builds your relationship and gives you professor experience so that your professor level can go up. Um, and the first part of the game, you can also find all those um, missing items for the students. And if you return it to them, your relationship with them uh, increases. Um, you can go to the cathedral and sing and get experience that way. And then there's also the back room of the cathedral with the statues of the four saints of Saros. And you can use this um, item called Renown, and it basically just makes gives you like booster points, pretty much. Um, for instance, one of them would be like lance plus two strength. Um, one of them's bow plus two, and there's just a whole list mm-hmm. of things you can improve on. I actually never got through any of them because there's so many. Yeah, and. As you do this, you as you like do all these things, you like build support with your characters or your students and their motivation. So if their motivation right. isn't high and you haven't been like interacting with them, 
then when you go to instruct them later and try to teach them new shit, they're going to fail or just right. not, not have the, because they have to have motivation to learn. Um, well, if they don't have motivation, they actually the game won't let you teach them anything. Right. And you're also building support with them, which basically um, the higher your support level, the better your um, compatibility in battle will be. Right. And it also unlocks like there's three or four support levels and getting to a new support level unlocks like a little cutscene where they tell you about their troubles or what it, what's going on <laughs> in their lives. It's just usually a cute little blurb. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's like tons of like yeah. small mechanics just that all like sort of interplay into like basically it's almost like a, a coach game with the whole professor aspect. Like you're just sort of guiding all your students to, you know, improve as much as possible. It's, it's hard to like understand if you haven't actually played it, like what the gameplay is like in that regard. But it is really unique, and I think it does give Three Houses sort of its own like flavor to it, its own unique identity. Agreed. It's cool. The professor aspect is a neat touch. Agreed. Um, there's so at the beginning you have to choose your house. Um, that's a neat thing because like then you could have two people you know put in the hundred hours to the game and have fairly different experiences. Um, that's always like what everybody asks each other, each other, right? When you learn that they're playing three houses. Oh, which house did you pick? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think that's something Fire Emblem has been doing for a while now where you get like different campaigns to pick from at the very start. Um, I'm trying to think of like what other gameplay elements there are. Am I forgetting anything? That's the thing with this game is that they're, they really did pack in so much into this game. I feel like even being a hundred hours in, there's still things I didn't get to because there, I mean, if you pull up that menu list and look at it, it's massive. Yeah. So there, there's just a lot packed into this game. I remember being a little overwhelmed early on in the game as they introduced everything. It's just like, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. At, at first it, it is a lot to take in, but they do a really good job of kind of, training you on how to use it for the most right. part. There, there's some things that they kind of just left to the side, but for the most part, all the important stuff, they do a good job of teaching you. Yeah. So Rich, um, what, I know you only played it for a little bit, but when you played, what did you think of the gameplay? Um, I liked the interactions between different characters um, that you had when you first picked your house and then I made it up to the introduction part of just meeting all the characters in the house and that's it. Um, but you know, getting that chance to actually go through, meet everybody. It's all voice acted. Um, you could definitely tell it was going to be a very interesting story that you wanted to take some time with that. I mean, once you get into that house, you wanted to do everything that you can. And I can understand Corey's deal with that. So, yeah. Um, so what were your overall, <laughs> the other fucking fishing. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on the gameplay, Corey? Uh, from the mid, th- from the little bit that I played on it, um, the impression was it was a good one. I think that if I'd have spent more time with it, I think it would have been. I actually might have liked the strategic aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, well, that was for Corey, Rich. <laughs> well, Rich needed to give his answer too. Yeah, we we appreciate your opinion. I thought you said me. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to talk. You talk so long. I'm, I'm alone. I feel neglected. My he's, got all this, he's got all these, this pent up talking. And now I'm done. 
<laughs> we'll bring you back later. Okay. <laughs> uh, overall, uh, no real complaints from me. I uh, I enjoyed the um, free roaming aspect of it. Enjoyed the battles. Enjoyed the battle system. Um, I liked being able to basically interact with your students on a one-by-one basis. You didn't have to, but you could. Um, I like all the different things they let you do in the monastery. They give you enough to keep you busy. Um, And just looking around the monastery, I thought it was a very pretty backdrop. Um, There were times even like walking from the main building of the monastery to the cathedral. There's that real long bridge between them. And I would like go to the edge and stop and look around and they built, you know, the forest down below with a river um, built really tall um, cathedral ceilings and um, towers. I, I really liked it. Cool. Well, all right then. Uh, I think that about covers it for the gameplay. So you guys ready to move on to our ratings? Let's rate this baby. So our first category is gameplay. So we just finished talking about that. Um, I think, you know, I didn't actually play the game, but I did watch Corey play through most all of it. So I can can sort of have an idea of how I feel about the gameplay. Um, I think, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with it. I can't think of any like elements that were annoying or anything. Um, there's lots to do. I'm, I'm trying to think about it, have anything bad to say about it, really. Um, I, I sort of wish that the battles were a little bit more dynamic looking because I feel like after the first few watching the characters just run up and slash each other doesn't really have much of an impact anymore. Uh, but that's really all I can think of. The, the only other bad thing I can think of is maybe there's a little bit too much to do, but that's not really a, you can't call that a negative. <laughs> no. Um, so I think I'm going to give it a nine. So, I mean, it's, it looks really fun. It's just not that fun to watch. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So, but I can totally, I, underst- I can totally understand why Corey loved the game so much just from watching though. It's cause it's kind of like, is the whole time is like I kind of want to play. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have your chance. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm going to give it a ten. Um, reason being is to be a ten, it has to be perfect. I can't think of anything wrong with it. I can't think of a single negative. So if Damn. I can't think of a negative, yeah, it's a ten. I guess that's true. Um, so story for we sort of already talked about story. 
if it hadn't been for that ending, I think I would give it higher than I'm going to. But the ending was a really big, like kick in the nuts for me. <laughs> uh, the story does have some really cool parts, some highs. Um, there's like some animated cutscenes that really like go along with the, the big turning points in the story. Um, but I just feel like they really botched it with that ending. Uh, there's lots of intrigue in part one, especially with the whole Lady Rhea mystery which gets totally just shat on in part two. Um, so I'm going to give it a seven. Ooh. I almost gave it a six. And then I remembered like how developed each character is. And for that, I gave it another point. Hmm. Um, Man, it's a little what, rough for you. Yeah. That's <laughs> ooh. ouch. It's still a seven. That's a good. You're thinking that wedding there, aren't you there, Corey? <laughs> Well, for me, (laughs) on the story, they do a fantastic job of making you feel connected to these characters. They give a lot of backstory. They give you a lot of options to interact with them. Um, The overall art, the overarching story, I thought was still good um, with the whole church versus empires kind of dynamic. Um, The ending... I I hated the ending with the text boxes instead of it actually playing out. But I don't tell. That's classic storytelling. Yeah. But I mean, even the story contained in the text box was good. It yeah. did it did add to it and it did wrap up most of the story, not all of it. But I agree that there are also missing aspects of especially dealing with Raya and Sophus and flying um so i'm gonna give it a nine it would have been a 10 if they would have dove into raya a little more all right well next up is graphics i feel like we're gonna have a little bit of a diverging opinion on this i do too um so i agree with Corey that the game does look pretty good but i don't think it looks that good (laughs) um because the characters are anime, it hides a lot of the uh, imperfections. But, I mean, this is a modern-day, you know, current-gen game. I feel like it, they could have done a lot more. I feel like a lot of it looks muddy. Um, the character expressions are not that great. And the backgrounds are usually just like a static image when they're talking. Um, so I feel like they could have done a lot more. That said, um, because of the art style, like I said, it's not. it looks a lot better than it would have otherwise. So I'm going to give it a six. Oh God! Whoa! Jeez! I mean, it doesn't look bad, but <laughs> yeah. So I obviously, as I touched on earlier, disagree with that. There were times where I would be roaming the monastery and stop and just look around and take it in and just be taken aback by how much detail was actually put into the monastery itself or the cathedral. And then after battle, you know, half of the cathedral ceiling just laying on the floor. Um, during battle, I think was maybe it's, it's weak point because you've got this kind of, you know, you're hovering over them on the field and moving them around. Um, and then, and then when they attack, it is a very repetitive kind of backdrop and, you know, the people running away from a defeated enemy just kind of, they run and then vanish into the background. They don't like fade out. They just vanish. Um, so it is a little choppy at times, but I really love this style, the whole anime style game. 
and it does probably cover up a couple things, but they stay true to it. So graphics, I'm going to give it a eight. Okay. I was expecting you to give it a 10. So better no, no, <laughs> I'm, I was 8.5. So I was right in between eight and nine. All right. So next is the music. Um, for my part, I think the music is pretty good. Like, uh, there's a lot of tracks, especially the battle tracks. They all, for the most part, sound great. Uh, They're bangers. Yeah. The, uh, the monastery music never isn't particularly memorable, but it never gets, um, uh, annoying. Um, except for what, when you're in like week four of Byleth morning is dead and the music still sad. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, uh, that started to ground me. Um, one thing that did annoy me, uh, I talked to Corey about this, um, in the second part of the game, I feel like they use this one really like somber and kind of low key battle track during the battles. And that was sort of a downer for me. Cause it's like not a bad track. But it's like, you hear the same one battle after battle when you know that there's like five or six other like really awesome battle tracks that you could be listening to. Um, but I can't really fault the music itself for that. I think the soundtrack is pretty awesome. So I'm going to give it a nine. I wholeheartedly agree. There were multiple times during the game where, you know, you would look over at me and be like, that music is awesome. That track is amazing. That's a banger. Yeah, that was multiple <laughs> times. So I would agree. It's a nine. Okay, cool. And that brings us to our overall feel of the game. Um, so this is basically like just how we felt about the game as a whole. Um, and then sort of like the mood and how we feel about it. Um, so I think that it is a great game. And I really, I think it was a great introduction to Fire Emblem because I'd always been curious about Fire Emblem due to it, you know, being one of Nintendo's biggest franchises. And I just never really got around to trying one because they're mostly mobile. So having one on console was great. The atmosphere is great. All the characters are fantastic for the most part. Um, they each have their own personality and backstories. Um, I do think it gets a little slow at points. Um, there's just a lot of space between story points and because the story was uh not it was great in the first half and whatever in the second half in my opinion i felt like that made it hard to like keep trudging through luckily Corey liked it so much (laughs) um so uh i want to give it a 7.5 but we can't do that so i'll give it an eight um i it was hard for me to put the game down. It sucked me in and it did a really good job of sucking me in and then keeping my attention. Um, yeah, it may have got slow in a couple spots, but I feel like the game gives you enough to do where it doesn't detract from it. Cause there's still plenty of things that you can do during those times. Um, I like the atmosphere. I like the music. I like the setting of the monastery. I feel like they made it big enough to where, you don't get tired of it being kind of, you know, your hub world. Um, Cause there's, it would take me, you know, minutes to reach one end to the other. And that's at a full, full run. Um, I like the characters. I thought they did a great job developing those. Um, I like the backstory. I like the overall story uh, dealing with Edelgard and the church and the empires. Um, 
and overall, I think it was just a fantastic game. So I have to give it a nine. Sweet. I was almost expecting you to give it a 10. <laughs> uh, if, before I give any game a 10, I have to put it up against Breath of the Wild. <laughs> you did say that Fire, you think Fire Emblem might be in your top five games now. It, it will be in my top five. The only thing with these ratings are like the story and whatnot. And the, I just wonder if my feelings would change after playing the other houses. I do think it would be worth revisiting uh, on the podcast once we, you know, sort of figure out how the other campaigns go. Right. Okay. So then we got our bonus category, the final boss, which for us was uh, Damon Guard. Damon Edelgard, yeah. Uh, hmm. It's an interesting, interesting thought because the way the battle is set up, you can sort of fork your teams three different ways to try right. and like go at her from all sides. But really that's the not smart approach to take because her forces are so like stacked on each side that the best thing to do is to just make a, a beeline for her, uh, which we ended up doing after a couple tries. Um, well, you had to, she was kicking ass. Yeah. She can like throw like energy shit at you from halfway across the field. Um, luckily your character's evasion was all pretty high. <laughs> Thank God. Um, uh, and then once you get to her, like if you do it right, you, your whole team will be like on her and she can't stand up to, you know, the full force of the blue lions for long. Uh, so kind of a cool final boss because it's cool that like one of your former students or one of the former students is the main villain and she's got like this monstrous form. Um, I do wish though, I thought it was going to end up being like either Lady Rhea or, uh, one of those other demon people fails or whatever fails uh, or Solon or yeah um but so it's not bad i don't think there's anything particularly great about it either it does have this cool vocal mix of the main theme going during the battle if I remember yeah right so that was cool so uh, i'll give it a seven demon guard i liked because they you could definitely tell they kind of cranked up the difficulty on this one um, as you said, we had to try a couple times and usually if I failed a battle once I figured it out and didn't have to worry about it. This one took me two or three tries, something like that. So they definitely made it harder. And this was me with a full team. Imagine playing the setting where you lose characters. Can you imagine trying to go at demon guard with just like four people? So yeah, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> yeah. I think they did a really good job of that. Um, I like the dialogue within the battle that uh, gets added in. Um, I'm going to move. I'm stuck. Um, I'll give it, I'll give it an eight because they could have made it a little better if there would have been more, I guess, kind of playing on that Edelgard yeah. line. Um, if they would have dug into that a little bit more, I think it would have been better. But overall, it's fantastic boss. Okay. So let me do some math here. That brings um, my final score to 39 out of 50. And I'm trying to do the math on Corey's side here. Uh, 19, 27, 37, 40. Wait, 9, 18, 27, 37, 45. 45. Crap, that's a fast math. <laughs> well, 9 times 3 plus 10 and then plus 8. So what's 39 plus 45? 39 plus 45 is 70, 80, 84. 
So that brings uh, the official after years total to 84 out of 100. Woo! Not bad. Not bad at all. And that's, I mean, that's a good score. <laughs> that's actually higher than the last review I was on with you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that Fire Emblem is probably a better game than the Link's Awakening remake. So I would agree with that. Okay. So, yeah, that's the official score. No uh, crazy math needed since we did uh, out of 100. We got two people in five categories. Nice. <laughs> Easy enough. Okay. So, before we uh, finish off the review, we did solicit some feedback from you guys, um, the listeners. We got a couple questions. Uh, Disa asks, what is the drive for you in a Fire Emblem game? She says, for her, it seems to definitely be the suspense in knowing that she can lose anyone at any time, which was not the case for us. So what is the drive for you in a Fire Emblem game, Corey? My drive on this one was pure story. Um, because I knew... You know, when I get to that last battle at the end of the month, I was going to get some sort of story detail. And as I rated the story really high, and I really loved it. That's what kind of kept pulling me back. Pulling me back was what's going to happen at the end of the month. Hmm. Okay. So do you, you never had any kind of urge to switch it over to where you could lose people, right? No, no, no. <laughs> we care about them too much. I wanted the dialogue. Yeah. Okay, and we also got a question from our, our old friend, Bill. <laughs> what did he want, Rich? So Bill, in his infinite wisdom, wanted to ask, what's the appeal of a strategy RPG? I like uh, FFT, but mostly for the story. I just struggle to get into the RSR, uh, the strategy RPGs. So what is, Corey, you really like strategy RPGs. Like you liked, uh, you love Valkyria Chronicles. You loved mm -hmm. um, Mario plus Rabbids. And then mm -hmm. now you fell in love with Fire Emblem. So what is the appeal for you? I think this boils down to the person because it's, you know, it, it's the same way as you have people that love to play chess and then people that get bored to hell with chess. And, it's, it's just, it depends on the person because me, I like the idea of the strategy RPG because I have to be thinking, you know, not just about next turn, but five turns from now, what's the game going to look like? What's, what's the board going to look like? What am I going to be dealing with? How am I going to, you know, what if, if this person moves here, what's my options? You, I like that it makes you think ahead and that it makes you plan for multiple scenarios at multiple times. Um, I, to me, that just adds, I like that little layer of complexity because it keeps you on your toes and you don't know, you know, if somebody makes a move you weren't expecting, you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Got to change my whole plan. Now I like the, the idea of having to really plan for something, be prepared and it forces you to pay attention. And, you know, some people, they don't like that. They would rather, you know, play checkers than chess. I like, I like the, the, the planning that goes into the games. And I think that's why, you know, those games you mentioned are all favorites of mine because something about a strategy RPG pulls me in. And I really do think it's because now granted the battles because of that, you know, like you said, I had a few that went over an hour. Um, but I like that. I never got bored with it. And I liked having to, prep and prepare and 
make sure that I was ready for just about anything. Right. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, if you like normal RPGs, uh, basically you take a battle from one of those and expand it out into like a full blown war. <laughs> yep. And, uh, it's just like taking to the next step. Like, uh, it's almost like if a normal JRPG turn-based battle is 2d, then a strategy RPG is 3d. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I totally get that. Um, uh, one thing I don't like about strategy RPGs is I feel like a lot of the times because you're, you can lose characters at any time you get characters that, yeah, they might have a backstory in their own plot line, but they're not really all that important to the story. So like pretty much all the Blue Lion students, other than, you know, Dimitri, you, you could take them out of it and the story of the game would not be affected. Um, so I mean, the that's, most part, yeah. that's one problem. But as far as the actual mechanics of strategy RPGs, I agree that it's really fun. So yeah, that's pretty much all the feedback we got. Um, and I guess that wraps up the review. Good job, fellas. Hey! Hey! hey. <laughs> I forget um just so it doesn't shock or surprise anybody the outro we're playing this week has vocals we do have a vocal version of our outro theme (laughs) we decided uh as a group to save this for just review episodes or like big milestone episodes um sort of as like a celebration and a pat on our back (laughs) (laughs) um rich did you ever figure out what we're talking about next week I had one and then I totally just spaced on like what we should do. Um, I mean, I really want to talk about final fantasy stuff. Um, Surprise. (laughs) Yeah, we can't really do that. So save it for the aftercast. Well, if you don't know what it's not a big deal, but no, I don't have anything quite yet. We'll have some kind of crazy topic. Oh yeah. Decide later. Maybe I'll edit it in or something. (laughs) We'll talk about Bill's life. Okay. Uh, So there's all your subscribers. Yep, yeah, totally. All about Bill's life. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, if you guys want to give us some feedback, we appreciate it. Um, go, you know, leave talk to us on the Discord or whatever. Um, we're always trying to figure out how to improve our episodes and our reviews. Um, another reminder, Material Lockdown starts March 3rd. That's coming up quick whoop, now, whoop. guys. <laughs> and then we got our plugs. What's first, Rich? You can talk to us at Discord. You know, the uh, Twitter, we tweet that out, the link for the Discord channel anytime. Uh, be able to come in and talk to us about pretty much all things RPG. Yeah. Uh, the link I'm is, in there. Yes, Yay. he is. <laughs> the link is in the show notes, and it's also on our pinned tweet on our Twitter account. Um, another thing we would really appreciate is if you guys went on to iTunes or whatever your podcatcher app is and write and review us. Preferably five stars, but you can be honest. <laughs> Um, we've talked about this before, but basically 
podcasts getting reviews is how new people find them. It, anytime it gets reviews, it sort of shoots us up the charts, um, just as like a user interaction type deal. So please do that. Yes. Go review people. And then lastly, we have our uh, Patreon, like we talked about earlier in the episode. Early episode access, ad-free episodes. You can participate live in the video version that we stream. We've got Jay's Anime Corner bonus episodes, the Aftercast bonus episodes, extra reviews, and more. Lots of, lots of good shit there. So patreon.com slash RPG After Years. And then where can they email us, Rich? They can email us for feedback, questions, etc. at rpgafteryears at gmail.com. We take questions. We take topic suggestions. We take anything you want to say to us. We'll, we'll get it there and read it. Which brings us to our Twitter accounts. Uh, I'm at, or the show is at RPG Years, and I'm at the Scott Spot. And I'm, I'm at HailBlue1569. You can Jay's find Jay, at, at Jay Hizzle. Yeah, at Jay Hizzle. And you can find Bill at Matunica. Where can they find you, Corey? I am at VFL Corey. Sweet. And that's about it. Uh, so thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed and look forward to catching you again for episode four. Until then, I'm Scott. I'm Rich. And I'm Corey. We'll see you next time for more of the RPG After Years. Bye, guys. Bye. The beast has been slain. The world has been saved. Our heroes are basking in the after years. They rest in the tavern for all to hear the tale of how they banish their fear. Revel in the peace. That reigns through the land All will know it was by our heroes' hands Here in the after years Here in the RPG after years Here in the RPG after years